At Casper, we want you to have it all, especially when it comes to your sleep. So we went ahead and made everything on our site up to 50% off. Yeah, for real. Even our innovative, extremely comfy mattresses. Yep, they're up to 25% off. Adjustable bed frames, 50% off. Pillows, sheets, bedding, bundles, and that super cute dog bed. It's on sale. It doesn't get much bigger than this. Visit casper.com or a store near you through October 24th to save on everything. Exclusions apply. See casper.com slash promo going on let's start the radio side so we can get bill wd40 into the chat room to lube us up for tonight's show sweet donna spencer number 29 in your program starting at defense from stockholm sweden lars jansen thank you emmy tong marty burback nice to see you both nick adkins vinman zen one what's happening and let's see nina williams a ron baka emmy tong chill farm Toe Tank, Sir Grizz, thank you for coming on in. Jerry Lehane, good to see you. Mike Rivers, and oh, we're running out of time. Pam Harris, thank you for joining us. High Dirt Road. Josie Salas, welcome to SOR Chat. Thomas Rock, good to see you. And let's see. Black Dragon, our favorite Marine, thank you for your service. And Geek Calgary. Uh, Severin Shot, thank you for the super chat. Very much appreciate that. Do me a favor, everybody. Throw those horns up. Let's rock. the mountains of central british columbia to you listening around the world this my friends is spaced out radio i am your host dave scott sitting in the captain's chair of sor headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show on the terrestrial affiliates around north america digitally on odyssey radio talk stream live at kpnl all of our archives are free join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old davy the favor hit that subscribe button you can follow us on twitter at spaced out radio instagram at spaced out radio show and on patreon in the sor space travelers club our website spacedoutradio.com we have a plethora of features for you rock out to bumblefoot read the news wire check out our swag as well tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. A power show of science and woo mixed up. Science Bob and Friends is here as we have Simeon Hine as a special guest tonight, so you know we're getting into some remote viewing and all kinds of awesome woo. Then in hour number three, Steve Stockton brings us another spooky story from Among the Missing. Right after that, Terry Hall will be back for the UFO report filling in for a vacationing little Timmy Senor. All right, let's get to it. Science Bob and Friends happens in the middle of each month here where we lose the woo. Well, we try not to, but we'll sneak it on in somewhere. 
And it's more about the who, what, where, when, why, and how with Dr. Bob McGuire, formerly of Virginia Tech University. This is where we look at the serious side of the stuff we love to talk about. Tonight, our special guest, Simeon Hine, joins us, who is no stranger to this show. And Science Bob, it's always good to have Simeon Hine with us. How you guys doing tonight? Hey. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing good. Science Bob, you're, I got you on mute here. Hold on. There we go. So, sorry. It's good to have Simeon on. He's one of my favorite guests. All right. So there's so many topics we could get into with both you guys, Simeon and Science Bob. Uh, Bob, I'm going to let you lead the way here because that's normally how we do it, number one. But number two, that Hawaiian shirt you are wearing is absolutely fantastic. You know what? I can guarantee, Bob, I can guarantee about 20 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, that if I was wearing that shirt, I'd be a dead man right now because I I got growled at by a, a, a black bear in my backyard, did not want me there, didn't see him, heard him, and uh, yeah. So I spent the last 20 minutes cleaning up myself a little bit, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Oh, good grief. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you made it, uh, made it out of that encounter uh, with, uh, with no claw marks and your clothes intact. Simeon, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, uh, what have you been up to lately? Uh, I just got back from the Montana con mystery conference in Kalispell, uh, put on by Joe Hauser and Dave Polites. It was mostly devoted to Bigfoot and I really enjoyed listening to Scott Nelson, the, uh, Navy, linguist cryptologist linguist who was telling us about broke down the sasquatch speech you know phoneme by phoneme and showed us uh kind of partly they understand a little bit how they're talking the sentence structure a bit it was a lot of fun he was the guy that analyzed ron morehouse's sierra sounds from the sierra nevadas how are they decoding it Well, according to Scott, there are, you know, units of speech that are common to any human language that we know about, uh, what we would call syllables. And you can see parts in the speech when they are finishing what they're saying and asking for a response from the other Sasquatch. And it's you can sort of get a sense of a of a relationship there, what they're saying, the sort of uh, the mood a little bit and. Uh, trying to see what they're saying about the humans inside this uh, hunting structure where Ron and the others were hunkered down <laughs> waiting for them to break in. They, they thought they might be eaten or something. Uh, fortunately, that didn't happen. But uh, uh, it was fascinating to hear from someone who's been trained by the military formally, you know, with foreign languages, Russian and other languages uh, to apply it to Sasquatch speak. Yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoyed that. A linguist and a polyglot. That that's a that's a good that's a good person to work on. So, uh, and what did uh, David missing four one one Politis have to say? If anything, uh, Dave gave us a very concise and I thought well put together lecture about why Sasquatch is not a giant escaped gorilla like oh, we've been told for decades by the you know the more formal researchers. No, no, no. Uh, all the evidence that it's a type of a human, especially that some of the tribes in the Northwest used to trade with them. And I spoke to someone, uh, a, a member of the Spokane tribe in the, at the Forks Washington Bigfoot Conference last June, 
uh, a fellow named Neil who, who raised his hand and said his grandfather used to trade with Sasquatch as recently as 1913 in the Spokane area. And I, I went up to Neil afterwards. What, what did you know? What did they trade? And he said his grandfather was a salmon fisherman, and they would trade with some of the Sasquatch in the area for medicinal herbs, rare medicinal herbs. And they wow. considered the Sasquatch like a distantly related tribe, not close, distant, but still a type of human tribe that was, you know, wilder than the other tribes, but nonetheless intelligent and capable of trading, you know, kind of basic economic activity. I mean, that's just, I think that really shoots down any idea that we're dealing with a relic primate. Okay, so let's move slightly into the consciousness. So what part of any of this story, including the use of verbalization and other kinds of communication, their, their structures and all of that other stuff, do you think this, what comment does it make on their use of telepathy? Right, that's a really good question. I mean, to me, and as I've written about, you know, in my book, Dark Matter Monsters and so forth, mm-hmm. I mean, the, one of the common features of Sasquatch interactions with humans is that the people receive telepathic messages uh, dr- even dreams ahead of their contact a couple nights before. I've read about this again and again, and it came up, I think, Jonathan Dover, the Navajo Ranger, who was also there from the Navajo Reservation. This is I someone wonder. who I has 4,000 hours of law enforcement training, who you know, certified by the federal government, and he was hired by the tribe to look into paranormal phenomena. And it was fascinating hearing him saying that the skinwalker folks used to come out to the res and want to investigate the things that he was looking at, because these were lots of unexplained cases. And some of it include telepathic contact with Sasquatch and different types of beings that they have on the reservation, just like you have anywhere else. Hey, Simeon, I got to tell you, uh, I know somebody personally who has those telepathic messages. And believe it or not, it's my 10-year-old son. And we were going out, about to go out in the forest earlier this spring. And we had it all planned out to go to our spot. And he said, he said, Daddy, we can't go. And I said, why? He goes, they don't want us here and they're giving me a headache. And uh, so I confirm this with, I, I don't know if you know uh, Robin Haynes, who is uh, very, very psychic towards uh, Sasquatch, but I can, she's been pretty accurate with our area so far, even though she's in North Carolina and I'm up in British Columbia. And she actually confirmed everything that my son said about mm-hmm. this. And we actually waited six, eight weeks before going there. And then when we went there, my son, of course, was with us, and he calls it every time they're around. He will just come out, and he will say, um, my head is starting to, to get a little sore, and Daddy, they're over there. And he'll point to the direction where uh, he feels that they are and everything. So uh, it's amazing to hear you all of a sudden talking about this and watching it firsthand with my son at such a young age. Right. It's a pretty common feature, especially for younger people to say this, Dave. This is what we hear from younger witnesses is that they are 
receiving this and maybe older adults don't believe in that because you know as we get older we're kind of socialized not to believe in such things but this is what you hear the witnesses telling you i believe the witnesses in fact one of the first people that ever told me about this 15 years ago was someone in one of my rv classes in boulder a colorado native who had one of these sasquatch jump up on her porch on a house she was sharing with several other women near colorado springs and she never saw it because she was upstairs, but it appeared in her mind's eye. And mm-hmm. when she talked to the woman in the kitchen who had seen it through the French doors on the deck, it was exactly as she had seen it in her mind's eye. So that is, I'm not, Dave, these things are real. And I have to tie this into something I think Bob's going to talk about tonight. When I talked with Jacques Vallée once at one of the IRVA conferences in Las Vegas, you know, he was involved in the remote viewing program at SRI. He Mm -hmm. told me that the one thing that a lot of UFO researchers are not talking about is this sort of telepathic sense that UFO contactees and witnesses have before the encounter, even several days before the encounter. Yes. My personal personal experience is with, of course, Lala Bright, and she regularly says, uh, we should grab cameras and stuff and go outside. And then the most startling photo the most startling photo we have gotten is she says, Oh, something's here. Give me your camera. And she took the camera and she didn't point it up at the sky. She pointed it at the backyard, catching ground and trees and went flip and got a flash. And the picture was full of this smoke. There was no smoke, no fog. And inside the smoke was a clear cut alien gray face mm-hmm. it was just as clear as it can be and that photo is so startling but she knew that it was going to be there so the fact that there's telepathic conversations between those entities which don't preclude it given their philosophy and their upbringing their 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 socialization and everything else and so they haven't turned their minds negative toward right. it uh it's it's possible so, right. And I've enjoyed the photos you've sent over of what you've been taking pictures of around your home. It's a, yeah, well, I've, you know, you know, I've shared that with you uh, uh, a lot. So so the other thing is uh, maybe maybe we can if, if it's possible, if it's possible. And it depends on your agreements. Uh, but I bet Dave would like to see the video of the event you just talked about. The woman at the cabin. Well, if, if we have the ability, we just got to make sure we break it down for our radio audience. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I meant privately. I don't oh, think privately. this is meant to be distributed. I don't think oh. this meant to be distributed publicly. No, sure, we're not, sure. not going to do it. On, not going to do it on the air because we don't have her permission. No, I'm happy to take a look at uh, any videos you want to share, Dave. Okay, and and uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm what I have in mind later, uh, Simeon. Sure. So so yeah, we've been having a remote viewing subclass on developing um, ourselves and others to work together to try to find uh, a Sasquatch and see Mm -hmm. uh, what it is we can figure out about where they move, how they are, where they're hanging out. Are they here? Are they not here? Are they half here? What it is. And we saw a video of this incident that Simeon was telling you about that I suspect Dave would like to see. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll remind you of which one. So let, sure. let's, sure. let's, let's sure. so for, Simeon, you've been teaching uh, remote viewing classes for how long? Wow. Over 25 years. 
Yeah, I was going to say since since it was declassified. And, yeah, ninety six. Yeah, and Ingo, of course, moved on and whatever. But all that influence is really, really clear because you definitely use Ingo's methods. And I discovered something. I, you probably already knew this, but it was not made apparent to me. Uh, so let's bring it up so the audience and Dave and others can know it. Uh, Joe McMonagle, Ingo and others that are right at the top, and maybe you yourself, almost all have synesthesia. Yeah. Okay, so I did not know that. What this is, is people hear smells. Right. People smell colors. People feel thought of other things. Your senses are all jumbled up, and they're cross-connected, and it could very well be a structure in the brain like this caudate putamen enhancement that Gary, uh, 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 um, uh, what's his name out in Stanford, California? Sorry. Gary Nolan. I'm, I'm, Gary Nolan. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I get old, old in the brain on occasion, senior moment. Anyway. So Gary Nolan discovered with Kit Green. So, uh, and I noticed, you know how my mind works, Simeon. I noticed that when you were teaching us the coordinate remote viewing mm-hmm. process, there is a section which appeals directly to synesthesia. Yes. When you go out and say, can you smell the texture? Right. Can right. you feel the colors? There you and go. I went, oh, this is appealing to synesthesia. Action and so cues. those really good remote viewers who yeah. have synesthesia, they're going to get. But the rest of us with lots of practice and uh, constant practice, et cetera, can through neuroplasticity develop this right if we have if we have enough cross connections that's absolutely right bob and there was an article in science magazine a few months ago they were studying this in bumblebees uh-huh. and they call it cross modal sensory transfer uh-huh. which is this they found that bees will do this that they can actually smell with touch or you know, just just what you're talking about. It can cross over because it's useful to them, you know, buzzing around, working so quickly. And this is what you're referring to, is that we can actually smell a color. You know, Nina Kaligina, the, uh, the mm-hmm. Russian Superstar. psychic and PK practitioner, she could actually feel colors. She could wow. accurately tell colors from touch. Now, think about that. So it, yeah. it means that it's not as defined as we see it, you know, that the eyes only perform one function, the ears, they're all perceiving resonance, right? Frequency. Yes. And the brain, if it's, you know, rewiring itself or even working the way maybe perhaps naturally it's designed, will see it in crossed over sensory modes. I guess that's the simplest. And, 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 and um, I further realized this with all of the people I know, like Wendy Gallant and um, uh, her, her people that work with her, Sean McNamara, mm-hmm. that without functioning eyes, people can still see. Yes. They can learn blindfolded sight. And not only that, with lots and lots of practice, if you're really talented, you get it early, but anyone can develop it to some extent, is the yes. ability to see things while blindfolded. Well, and and I have now watched multiple of these people that are blind since birth learn to see uh, blindfolded. It's just kind of amazing. 
That's very encouraging because you, you probably know people who've lost some of their senses. My mom had macular degeneration. She's in her 90s now and still healthy. But it's I, I've told my mom, you're going to pick up other senses. Don't don't feel too nervous about this. Don't worry about it. Other senses will grow to fill that gap. And it's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, and I suspect yeah. with focused training and constant practice, all uh, I am now convinced that it's easier for the young. It's easier for people with certain brain, certain brain enhancements, but anyone can learn to see blindfolded. And that's the most complex thing of all. Maybe, maybe hearing is more complex, but surely sight is more complex. Well, let me ask you uh, this. Have, kind I, of amazing. have either one of you ever tried uh, the Estes method where you are blindfolded and then so and then your hearing is uh put into a sensory deprivation where all you're hearing is like radio signal coming across now i've done this once uh earlier this summer with with merle and i was I never heard a voice come through because the idea behind it is you have somebody standing at a distance asking you questions and you're hoping for some sort of spiritual answer to come across on the through the radio signal. And I never heard a thing, no voices, nothing. What I did see, though, was a giant white orb beside my face, like right here, and it was blinding. And when I saw that orb, uh, Tim Sedor actually filmed a UFO white orb above us in the sky. And we were 25 miles away from civilization into the forest. And I ne- and like I said, the other things that I saw were alien gray heads kind of floating around and then reptilian eyes. And I've never had any interaction with any sort of reptilian before. So have either of you ever tried the Estes method? Because that's kind of what you're talking about here. In, in, indeed. So uh, I, I wear um, a sight, a, a, a mask every evening to bed. And I typically listen to a meditation. Right now I'm trying to really enhance my ability to do lucid dreaming. But I also play binaural tones at a low level. At Casper, we want you to have it all, especially when it comes to your sleep. So we went ahead and made everything on our site up to 50% off. Yeah, for real. Even our innovative, extremely comfy mattresses. Yep, they're up to 25% off. Adjustable bed frames, 50% off. Pillows, sheets, bedding, bundles, and that super cute dog bed. It's on sale. It doesn't get much bigger than this. Visit Casper.com or a store near you through October 24th to save on everything. Exclusions apply. See Casper.com slash promo. Experience the joy of home sweet hosting with help from Ashley. Get your home ready for company with guest approved essentials now starting at just $9.99.99. And right now you can save on accessories store wide to finish every look. Plus, take advantage of low monthly payments with 60 month special financing in store only. Visit your local Ashley store to shop and save today. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required, minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery required. See store for details especially if it's uh, at uh, uh, Theta, where this is for meditation. So I'm trying to take myself just below, just above totally unconscious, so that when I go to sleep, my conscious mind is still functioning so that I can do lucid dreaming. 
because I want to do the things you can leap off from lucid dreaming and go there. Uh, and so uh, the answer is yes. And so Lala and I have shared a vision uh, of, um, let's just say, a woman who is in need of help. And so uh, that's been that was pretty startling. And the, the, when she was becoming, when she was having interactions with uh, the folk, the, the, the entities that were coming around a lot, I used to see them in, in front of my face whenever they were around. Uh, so the answer is yes. And what I did, I had, did, I had no idea anyone called it that. Uh, I hadn't heard that name, but that's what it is. But so these, these blindfolded meditation masks, are really good for developing this kind of stuff. And the first time, first when we first started doing our experimentation, uh, I got a pack of colored, colored cards, and I shuffled them up. She blindfolded herself, and I handed them to her, and she was a hundred percent hit. It was just it's kind of amazing. So that's when that was the moment in which uh, she and I decided we were going to go to Simeon and have him be our instructor at remote viewing because both of us knew Julie. Right. So the answer is yes, Dave. My long-winded answer was a yes. <laughs> All right, uh, 48 seconds. Uh, Simeon, have you ever tried it? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. I've experienced some of the things you're talking about either spontaneously as a younger person, as a teenager. Uh, it happened once around Green River in Utah where all of a sudden I wrote about this in my first book, Opening Minds, I mean, I just saw a reptilian figure very close by. And it was preceded by a weird horizontal flash of light. And all of a sudden, time was slowed down. There was something there. And then I snapped back into my body and it was gone. But, I mean, it, it was in my perceptional sphere right there. It wasn't far away either. Amazing. Gentlemen, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour, first half hour down, Simeon High and our special guest on Science Bob and Friends with Dr. Bob McGuire, formerly of Virginia Tech University. Remote viewing, UFOs, aliens, it's all coming up next on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned as we jump from the woo to the who, what, where, when, why, and how on Spaced Out Radio tonight. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are clear. Remember, the audience can hear us. I'm talking to them right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So from here, I'm going to ask you some questions about um, your views of your views and your experiences on certain aspects of consciousness. Sure. And then I'm going to tell you the work I've been doing. I'm happy to get an update, Bob. Uh, it's been a, it's been a while, and uh, yes, 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 like too, to too, too, too long, too long, it's been a little long, yeah. and uh, a lot of things have happened. But I'm glad to see you again. You know, I also went to the Vernal Phenomenon conference. Yes. Uh, yes. That was just a couple of weeks ago. Also, I've been going to all these conferences. That's uh, good. I was so pissed off I wasn't there. That yeah, was I really lot of fun. Two years in a row, I wanted to go and could not. <clears> things got in the way. It's a lot of local people with excellent stories, and the people don't share these stories outside of their. It, ne- I don't know. Did the Skinwalker people attend? 
Yeah, you had all the Skinwalker folks. They had her panel. You had the Blind Frog Ranch group. Good. I had never really known much about them. And they're north of Skinwalker by a bunch of miles. And, yeah, uh, Daryl and his crew have a show on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were there. And I, it was fascinating listening to that. And there were people, witnesses they had interviewed who'd seen orbs in that area and had missing time. And I just couldn't get enough of it. It's just fascinating. So, uh, you, you know, Terry, it's funny. Terry, you know, it's Terry funny. And- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Bob. You know what's funny about <laughs> the Vertal Phenomicon is uh, I haven't been invited yet. Yet our show is the one that's played on radio in their town. Is that right? <laughs> they haven't even invited me yet. So I'm like, okay. So, so the, the and Tim, uh, Tim, the UFO uh, segment guy, and Terry Hall, who's associated <clears throat> with the show, they had a long set of work experiences, et cetera, they were doing at Blind Frog Ranch. So the connections of this show to the Uinta Uinta Basin is strong. Wow. That is... And I've had had interactions going on now for about two and a half months about something specific that I won't give details on with with Eric Bard and uh, Brandon. Right, right. There's some things I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, so many fascinating aspects to that area. Well, not, not, the, the, this pat. So you know, I, I started this with some skepticism, and every every now and again, somebody would say something special would happen on the show, and I would look at the episodes to catch up. But then, uh, our former chief scientist of UAPTF join the crew without them knowing he was the chief scientist or any of the rest of us. And it really got serious and starting in season two. And then by season three, I was going, these people are doing real science. Everybody thinks this is all staged by a show, but I know these people are not interested in doing anything that's staged or faked. Right. And by the end of this season, I went, they are showing results that are, shattering of all sorts of paradigms. And uh, can I tell you my, I told him what my hypothesis was. You're talking about the Skinwalker crew. Yeah. I told him, I told him what my hypothesis was that something has been set up there to educate humanity. Right. Yeah. It's. uh... I got invited to go right to the edge of the ranch one night. Uh, but I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I At the didn't. campground? Yeah, you know, there's a campground, which is right on the edge. Yeah, they came to me and said, you know, the Skinwalker people told us right where we can go right up to within a foot of the property and not infringe on, you know, they don't want people going on. But yeah. we can go right up to the edge of it. And I didn't take them up on it because there were some dark sky watching events at Dinosaur National Mine, other things. Yeah. I wanted to do those. So I didn't actually get out there. But um, I heard some stories the next day, so. Oh, I, I, uh, I, I think that, well, to go on that ranch, you, the ND, the non-disclosure and the waiver of liability you have oh, yeah. to sign was written by an army of lawyers. I'm not surprised. <clears throat> Listen, there was a woman that they had, the Blind Frog Ranch people who had interviewed. She had gone out there just to Skywatch. Mm-hmm. She saw an orb went out of the car to start filming it and got really sick. 
And it's not surprising because these orbs can emit all sorts of uh, energy and frequencies, EMF fields. Gamma. Yes, and she and, all, and she and then so she, and she wakes up at ten a.m. when she's not a late sleeper, and she had, it, it was just really strange, and she felt really we ill. We need from to let Dave hold on, guys. Uh, thank you. Sign the forms, right? Thank you yeah. to Louis, Lala, uh, Severin, Shot, Bob, Kira, uh, Simon, and W Decker for the great super chats. Here comes the second half hour. Here we go with the second half hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate you tuning us on in. Reminder to all of you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can find us on Patreon and join the SOR Space Travelers Club. Second half hour of our great friend Science Bob and Science Bob and Friends with Dr. Bob McGuire. Special guest tonight, Simeon Hine. Science Bob, we pass it over to you. Great. Uh, Simeon, uh, so... uh... Though I've not been the best student, it's been a great thing for me to take remote viewing uh, from you. It's just been wonderfully illustrative, and I've learned a lot, and it's caused me to have a lot of thoughts. So one of the things I would like for you to do before we go off into the deep end is to discuss with us and describe, if you will, the personal experiences that you have had that you feel you can relate, which demonstrate both the non-locality and the uh, not captured solely in the physical that you've learned from remote viewing about consciousness. So just just, just anything you could relate to us, because I know you've thought about it a lot, given what's in your books. Yeah, it's it's a good question, Bob. Uh, I, I think what RV has shown me is dental sound bites created for dentists by dentists. Love it. <laughs> this is yep. fun. Especially love Yay. talking nerdy. <laughs> I love to pivot. Exactly. I'll share with you uh, a Greek wisdom. Dental sound bites. Season three. Coming soon. Wherever you get your podcasts. Dental sound bites created for dentists by dentists. What's the first word you think of when you hear candy? <laughs> More sticky situations, amazing guests, fascinating information, and lots of resources you can use at work and in your life. Love it. This is yep. fun. Let's do this together. Especially love yes. talking nerdy. <laughs> Even I could have taken them out. You could have. <laughs> I'm going to pause you right it, there. I'll share with you uh, a Greek wisdom. Dental sound bites. Season three. Coming soon. Wherever you get your podcasts that you know you're conditioned throughout your life to believe that you're somehow in this physical space in a body over a certain span of time and that you know you're here in this space-time point but when you do rv you have access to other locations other times i remember doing a target back at farsight in 96 the target was the destruction of the dinosaur 
dinosaurs event. And the idea is for the viewer to find out what was going on. You're not told this ahead of time. It's it's a blind session, but that's the target queue written on the folder 20 feet behind you. And I remember having this experience of seeing these huge creatures in the swamp and they had big necks, just like dinosaurs. And I'm starting to think dinosaurs. And then uh, the monitor moved us forward in time. And all of a sudden it just became grayed out and dusty. It was quite traumatic. One of the things I remember from being with that dinosaur land is the air, the beautiful blue sky. It, it, It was incredibly blue. Like I've actually never seen here on earth. I mean, there wasn't a scintilla of pollution. If you could imagine that it was the best smelling air. This is what's called bilocation. It doesn't happen very often, but it happened this time. And then when we move forward, all of a sudden it's all grayed out and it's lifeless, like just something that collided with the earth or something. I mean, and that's one of the early experiences that you're just thinking, well, how is this possible? How am I experiencing this? You know? And, and I think part of the explanation is that this sense of being in your body in a particular place at a particular time is like a hallucination that society has encouraged you to have, you know, it, you've been socialized to believe this ever since you started speaking. Okay. It, it's just how you're taught. So, but RV teaches you there's just uh, that consciousness is more spread out than you were led to believe. And that's, right. and this happens when you do these sessions as you and Lala have experienced and so many other people have taken the class. Yes, exactly. So uh, have you had uh, a personal experience with telepathy? Outside of remote viewing, from one person to oh, another. Yeah, I mean, you mean uh, between with another person spontaneously mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. so forth? I mean, I think it makes you more sensitive to the people in your life. And that sometimes is a wonderful and it can also be more painful. You're experiencing yeah. more of their feelings yeah. and emotions. I mean, we have these barriers to that. I mean, we look at what's going on in the world around us, we need some defenses at the same time. RV lowers that and makes you more perceptive. So I think just, sure, you, you just spontaneously sort of sense when you should call somebody or, or uh, make some contact. I mean, it, it gives you a sense of uh, a sort of advanced perception in, in your personal relationships with people and, and in your life, friends, family, your pets, so forth. Yeah, let me, let me, let me confess. So uh, I don't believe that... It's uh, facial expressions or other physical things that I'm doing. But Lala will say, what's wrong when she knows that I'm in inner turmoil or I'm thinking about stuff heavily and just uh, it's pretty amazing. So uh, I'm on the quest and the quest is to prove logically uh, uh, that and mathematically that consciousness is cannot possibly be housed in the brain or in our physical being. That's number one. And to contribute to the scientific understanding that uh, consciousness came before everything, that consciousness is the beginning and the end of everything. And Space-time is the illusion that the universal consciousness gives each of our individual consciousness in order to carry out whatever thing we're supposed to be doing here. And so space-time is an illusion. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean, Simeon? 
That means if consciousness comes before space-time, your brain is part of space-time. That what that means logically, one next step is consciousness cannot possibly be inside your brain. It cannot be a manifestation of the firing of the neural synapses because consciousness manufactures space-time. Let's, let's go further. Let's go further. Um, the consciousness, the brain, let's just suppose it's com- a computer. Let's suppose it is. How many, how many things to do computation are in it? A few trillion. So let's go one step further and say, how many different connections can there be between these things that do a computation in the brain? 20, 20 quadrillion, 25 quadrillion. So this means no matter what you do or say, the ability to do compute, the ability to memorize, all of these things is finite. And so if you ran a thousand tests of questions, a, a, a 25 quadrillion tests of questions through your brain is still a finite number of yes, no answers. We know already, Simeon, we know already from Gödel's first incompleteness theorem that these finite set of yes, no's, which let's take it as axioms, means there's uncountably infinite number of things outside it to which we can never formulate with these neurons and these connections, yes, no questions for them. This system is finite and there are yes, no questions extant all around us in consciousness that cannot be answered by a bunch of connections in your brain. That's that's guaranteed by Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Turing's uh, problem the halting problem is you can now apply that to consciousness in another way. And let's not go through all the arguments, but it says that it means the following. Even if your brain was a computer or if you have a computer, which is running artificial intelligence, it can never compute from at the beginning understanding. It can't do it. It's simply impossible. Because that won't halt. And how do you say, how do you say you've achieved understanding? We get this feeling that all of a sudden we have the answer. And uh, so you can't get understanding. So a computer can't be conscious and neither can our brain. Because it's, if you think of it as a computer, this means since we achieve understanding, since this is finite and all the questions we can ask are much bigger than anything in our brain, that our consciousness resides outside of our brain, outside of our physical body, and can answer and pose questions that are impossible. And if the universal consciousness is thing, the thing that feeds our own consciousness, then uh, it's uncountably infinite. Is 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 the is the uh, is the universal consciousness? And this has large, large ramifications. It just has all these huge. Uh, uh, kinds of uh, implications that are just tremendous. And should we forget this small-scale physicality that we've limited ourselves to, the, 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 the outcomes are 
unbelievable. So one more thing and then jump in. Donald Hoffman applied uh, evolutionary game theory uh, to uh, the human sensory perception systems because he's he he wants the following question answered by all those who are physical physicalists. Show me the set of neurons and the patterns that I can measure that show that that you can prove to me are whatever that brain is is tasting chocolate. Whatever that brain is doing, it's smelling a rose, etc. If he says, because that is the problem that people who are the physical, it's all in the brain, have to answer if they want to claim it's all in the brain to solve the hard problem of consciousness. What get what pattern in your brain corresponds to your tasting chocolate? Okay, so uh, so and he went further. He went. He realized early on that this was just not going to be possible. So he struggled for years. I think he got downloads, to be honest with you, because when he describes how it came to him, it was a download. So he proved a mathematical theorem using the game theory of evolution that the fitness function for optimization of our survival does not include our senses showing us reality. That in fact, that selects against a positive evolutionary outcome. That the only objective function that our evolution could have been optimizing is for our senses to interpret that which prolongs our life to the time we procreate. Nothing else. Reality is not needed, but, but optimizing procreation is. So I, I said a bunch of stuff here. So why don't you yeah. come? I am really pleased that someone's mentioning Girdle's incompleteness theorem. I never hear anyone else talk about this, Bob, and it's something I think about every day. And the reason I think about it is we hear so much about AI and all sorts of technical systems and what they can do, but no one tells us what they can't do. And what they can't do is exactly what you just said. In any given logical system, there's going to be unknown unknown. Dental sound bites created for dentists by dentists. What's the first word you think of when you hear candy? <laughs> More sticky situations, amazing guests, fascinating information, and lots of resources you can use at work and in your life. Love it. This is yep. fun. Let's do this together. Especially love yes. Yes. talking nerdy. <laughs> Even I could have taken them out. You could have. <laughs> I'm going to pause you right it, there. I'll share with you uh, a Greek wisdom. Dental sound bites season three coming soon wherever you get your podcasts hey the balance in my free checking account earns more than options like cds and without tying up my money keesler federal credit union helping our members live extraordinary and the system will not know what those unknowns are ahead of time this is what as you said girdle showed and also turing in the incompleteness theorem a the computer never knows ahead of time when it's going to crash or halt because it hits some sort of infinite loop. Given, right? given, 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 given the, the language of a computer, you cannot even write the question in that language, is my computing consistent? You, that's, that's Girdle's second incompleteness right. theorem. Given right. the language in a computer, I can't say, is this language consistent? 
I mean, it's just impossible. It can't doesn't know if it's consistent or not because it's it, in a it, limited finite framework. And it can't even ask the question. <laughs> it can't even ask the question. And, and for some reason, we never talk about these issues you're bringing up because it points to the uniqueness of our humanity. It says so there's something good about living organisms that doesn't apply to machines. Do you know who else made the point that you're making right now? Well, some of them. Federico Fagin, the oh, yes, inventor, yes. and there's a great movie about him, The Four Lives of Federico Fagin, the Italian inventor that ended up developing the first four chips at Intel. Yeah. And I saw him speak at a conference. You would think this is the person that would argue that computers could be intelligent, that they can do this and that. No. He said they don't have bodies. They don't have experiences. They don't have memories like we do from our life experiences And there's no way they can ever be conscious. It's impossible. There's nothing in there to give them what we have, which is this sort of awareness of having experiences from decisions we've made and so forth. So there is a really big difference. And there's something else that scientists can't find in our brains. Decision making. When you make a decision between tea or coffee or any other decisions you make daily, Nobody knows where in the brain that's coming from. What, who is initiating? You can see the electrical pattern after the decision's been made. Nobody knows who's making the decision because you're actually not there. Exactly. You are somewhere else having an experience through this physical energy system that we call a body. Uh, I think it raises a lot of good questions, Bob. I mean, as someone that looks at multiverses and parallel realities, I almost see us as a lens that's constantly moving across different threads. And that lens is you and your personality. But it's every, you know, nanosecond is switching across these threads, seeing this as a sort of a linear perception. But all these threads go off in infinite directions. And that lens itself never sees the entire picture. It just sees what it's focused on at the moment. And somehow we mistake that for thinking that's all that exists. We we don't see, you know, we can't see the mechanism behind it. But I mean, I have to admit from my experience with RV and all these other subjects, there just has to be something larger going on that is beyond the span of this particular, you know, the, the neurological connections, this particular biological apparatus and, uh, uh, yeah, it's it. These are really good questions, and I think the the science we're talking about says that they they have to be addressed in some way. You can't just get out of it by saying, "Oh, it's just a physical thing," and you've got these neurons with so many how many trillion connections, and that's all you are. It just doesn't 20, doesn't 25, explain twenty five quadrillion connections. Okay, twenty five, but it's still it's still finite. Whatever it's, set of axioms that make, makes it's still finite. It's only uh, so there are questions that brain cannot answer. And uh, let's take it one step further, Bob. The RV results conclusively show that people can perceive the future or at least the short term future much more accurately than you would expect if they're just randomly guessing. We know this from the ARV experiments of Greg Kolodzic, the Canadian. And Stefan. Yeah, extreme athlete. Uh, I've seen, uh, I've just seen Greg's results from 13 years of ARV, associative remote viewing, where you attempt to do a prediction a couple days ahead of time on, you know, markets up or down, things like this. When you can get 65 to a 70% hit rate over 13 years, 
over 5,000 uh, sessions, there is no way that the conventional sense of time can work anymore. How, how is Greg picking up what the market action is going to be by Friday, the Monday before, consistently week after week to make a profit like that over? De- and he just did it to prove that it worked, not just to, you know. My, my favorite RV group on uh, uh, YouTube is this crypto, whatever it is. And uh, yeah. well, two weeks ago, they did a they did a they did a session and they drew these pictures of that are now on television. Two weeks ago, they drew a picture on television of Israel after Hamas crossed the border. Is that right? The clouds, the, right? all this stuff. They got the portion of the world right. It is impossible for that to be contained in a finite number of neurons. It right. has to come from outside. Dave, we're going really deep. I bet, I bet you got some questions. <laughs> questions? I don't even know what the hell you guys are talking about. <laughs> but, Dave, but, Dave, you sent stuff outside of your, your mind and body. Did, is this, all we're trying to do is prove to our scientific brethren that they have trapped themselves in this physicality yes and they need to escape it. yes now now with all due seriousness you know I, from an outsider's perspective and somebody who doesn't have a scientific degree or background like you two very proud gentlemen do you know for me it's very hard to see how many scientists out there are very narrow-minded more narrow-minded than say a person who knows nothing about the field and just wants to learn. You know, whether it's right. whether it's Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's probably the most famous, or Seth Stoshak, or, or you know, even somebody like uh, Jeff Meldrum, who looks into Sasquatch as just being a flesh-and-blood creature. You know, there's so much going on. And the one thing, Bob, that I've learned from you, and I've bragged about this over the years, is science is... Science doesn't end. Just because we may have things figured out doesn't mean science ends. There's no, a, there's you never a, stop questioning. Never. And, and yet never we, stop and yet, questioning. And yet due to government grants and university grants and, and position and tenure and everything, there seems to be these stop gaps that really hinder science from going where it's supposed to go. And... You know, I mean, I just don't understand why a scientist would ever want to end or be satisfied with not learning about some of these amazing mysteries, whether it's telepathy, whether it's Bigfoot, or aliens flying into Earth's atmosphere. We it, we we need we need an independent, wide wide range, broad shoulders, and open minded thinking foundation that can fund the work. Because the National Science Foundation, the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, should they want to fund some of this stuff, they're going to classify it. So and what we need is scientists in the open to feel like they can fund a laboratory and graduate students to work on these problems. Because we have collapsed the kind of wild thinking that made North America and Canada and the United States the great scientific and engineering enterprises is we had this, all this wild unconstrained thinking and it led all over the place. I mean, the people that founded the jet propulsion laboratory, they were into the weirdest woo crap you can possibly imagine. 
And look, look where they got us. They got us to outer space and to the planets and going further. I mean, and that stuff was born out of some of the wildest thinking you can possibly imagine. And we just can't constrain minds to work on only problems that are of direct interest now because we forego wild brain thinking done in collaboration with lots of people that actually get somewhere. Wild brain thinking. You know who warned about this, Bob? Vannevar Bush. Vannevar Bush did, and so did Albert Einstein. Alleged member of MJ-12, Vannevar Bush of the Bush family, right after World War II wrote this whole paper saying that the U.S. was getting too concentrated science from a limited number of funding agencies, and he said it was going to kill science because it was going to instill a bureaucratic mentality over the entire university system, all the labs. He said you were going to lose the independent thinking that made America great in the first place. And and we often think of him as the ultimate insider that was the hiding, you know, the all the MJ-12, you know, committee and stuff. But this people have been concerned about this since World War II. And unfortunately, it happened. We don't have that wild type thinking that you're talking about at all. And these people that Dave is mentioning, they are so conservative. They don't have a willingness to look at evidence. They've already made their minds up. It's like Stanton Friedman used to say, don't confuse me with my fa- the facts. My mind's already made up. It's anti it's anti scientific to refuse data to refuse data. It's anti scientific, and that's the sort of general culture we're living under right now. It's the funding mechanisms, and it's hurt us, and it's hurting us with the UAP discussion right now. This is why Congress has to get briefed year after year from these insiders in skiffs because we haven't had any national discussion about it. It's been totally squelched. All these topics we're talking about here, and that comes out. It's not just a conspiracy; it comes out of the way science is funded. Gentlemen, we are through one hour here on Spaced Out Radio. This is really a topic that we were just talking about that I could go another hour on because, you know, there's so much. Nico has always been a leader ahead of the curve, but his growth wasn't keeping up. So his pediatrician recommended PediaShore Nutrition Shakes to help him grow and support his immune system. And he says they're delicioso. Shop for PediaShore at PediaShore.com. This new Wendy's Frosty flavor is way too exciting to keep under wraps. It's a brand new, first-of-its-kind flavor. Get this, pumpkin spice. I know, right? It's so good. It's rich, it's cozy. It's the perfect flavor for some fall frosty time. Watch, everyone will see it and jump on the bandwagon. Grab a never-before-seen pumpkin spice frosty or pumpkin spice frosty cream cold brew today when you choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's. Vanilla Frosty is temporarily unavailable. That needs to be said and done in the scientific community to expand it. And maybe it takes a conversation like this to get it going. You never know. We have Science Bob, a.k.a. Dr. Bob McGuire, formerly of Virginia Tech University, and Dr. Simeon Hine. We're on a roll tonight. Hour two should be no different when we return right after this. You know, and that's why I got, I don't know if you heard the episode, Bob or, or Simeon, because I know, Simeon, you tune in uh, when you can. Um, I got so pissed off with the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, the SCU, uh, giving a, a standing ovation and supporting the NASA um, uh, report on UFOs. And here I'm sitting here thinking as a layman, 
as as a journalist and as someone who who deals in this topic every day, how could you be so stupid to support that when literally you know they are lying to you? They're astronauts, they're they're test pilots, they're engineers. And to me, I thought if anybody could have could have saved some face or grew some face here in this field of credibility, it would have been the SCU, but they buckled. And they buckled as per usual. I didn't know that. I did not know that. <clears throat> yeah. That is just that's just, so so I, I my my favorite my favorite recent weird video from the International Space Station was uh hey bob time out, time out one second i'm just running out for a minute if i get uh, mauled by a bear take over okay okay great gotcha yes got it's, 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 uh, my favorite vi- video from iss was crew dragon was approaching the international space station to bring a load of supplies so it was on its way in and so nasa could not under its own regulations turn the camera off because it's a safety thing Right behind the dragon came the most beautiful possible triangle video, triangle UFO. Is that right? You flying right behind the dragon. I never right across saw the that. Screen. Yeah, I'll have to find it and send it to you. I was watching that live. It was like the universe wanted me to see it. It was amazing. I this 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 nonstop BS. And then there's this other there's this other video of this craft which is well below the International Space Station, but keeps pacing it, keeps pacing it, and it goes up, up and higher than the International Space Station, but keeps its horizontal axis distance constant. Mm-hmm. If you know anything at all about orbital mechanics, you know that took an unreal amount of energy. Is that right? Unreal amount of energy to, to keep, keep the, the axis keep, stable keep, as keep, keep the keep the horizontal axis stable while yeah. its y axis went positive to negative Got to it. positive. And uh because things that are going below the International Space Station will move out in front of it. Right. Things that are above the International Space Station will fall behind it. Yeah, that's that's Newton's law applied to orbiting objects. And and there was no rocket. There was no propulsion visible of any type. It looked like it was moving miraculously. And they got it all on video because they didn't turn it off. And they were controlling the camera because they were worried about a collision. Right. And uh, they got the whole thing and it was all captured on ground by by UFO buffs before they deleted it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, as you know, Bob, I've talked to people that have worked for NASA and mm-hmm. I, I've put some of it, you know, it's in, it's in this book here. And yeah. I can't tell you how frustrated they are with the lack of discussion about these, the, the, the actual deliberate destruction of film and yeah. data. Hal Hovenmeyer was friends with Chris Bledsoe. He told Chris of personally seeing photos of the structures on the far side of the moon. Just like Carl Wolf talked about, Sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Who, who was this person again? What was Hal Povenmire. Hal Povenmire. 
Yes, he's, he's written a couple of books about UFOs. He was into it, and he was tasked by NASA to, to go check out Chris Bledsoe. Okay. And to, and to see, to, to debunk and call a call BS if he could. And he wound up being co opted and became a friend for the rest of Hal's life to Chris. He was going to come down for Thanksgiving because he was like a friend of the family, fell and hit his head on concrete and passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, what did Hal do for NASA officially? What he was, was a, he was a, a tectite uh, astronomer, if you want to call it that. But yeah. he had other he had other man, managerial jobs inside of NASA. Because once you're it, inside of NASA, even if you're an, even if you're a scientist, as you go up, you're a bureaucrat. Right, right. And he personally told Chris that he had seen structures on the far side of the moon. In Just pictures. like we've heard from other many. Car, uh, was it uh, Donna Hare? Yeah. And others. Yeah. Yeah. And just this, this nonstop cover up. It's just so irritating. And you and Dave and I and our audience mostly doesn't need any of this proof that everybody is talking about of the uh, non-human intelligences and their, their evidence around them all over because I, Eyewitness testimony is good to put a person on death row. Absolutely. It's certainly good enough if it's in the millions to say something is there worth investigating. Right. All right, gentlemen. No, it, I'll get you to hold on it, right there. It'll, it'll break through. It, it it has to. You just have too many people, uh, too many connections here. Look at what we're doing right here. We're having a conversation. People can watch this for months. Um, uh, rewinds, you know, I, I don't think these wall structures can live forever. They break down. Thank you to our super chatters tonight, including Human Carl. Here we go, everybody. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Here we go with hour number two of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America. Digitally on Odyssey Radio, talk stream live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Cabre. Cabre is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. On our website, spacedoutradio.com, we have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go with Science Bob. Dr. Bob McGuire is back for Science Bob and Friends and our special guest tonight, Dr. Simeon Hine. And right before the break, gentlemen, we were having a great conversation about the lack of open-mindedness with a lot of scientists out there when it comes to these topics of the supernatural, paranormal, ufological, 
And it really is a, a disappointing topic when you think about it. And Simeon, uh, one of the things that you said was you, you didn't hear or, or know that the SCU, the Scientific Coalition of UAP Studies, actually backed the NASA back a report that they spent a hundred grand on to not even mention what's in their own closet. Yeah. Yeah. I made a video about that for my YouTube channel a couple of days ago. I was just so frustrated by it. Having talked to people who've worked at NASA, NASA astronauts, astrobiologists, uh, different people with different, you know, types of work there. And to, for them just to say that we don't have any evidence that they, they don't want to see the evidence. That's all you could conclude. You have to ask them, what would you consider evidence to be? What would convince you there's something? Cause I don't think they want to look at it. They have, we, Bob and I, we're just talking about this in the break. They have it from all of their own the Apollo missions, going back to people like Gordon Cooper, who talked about it. I don't know, Bob, if you ever talked to Edgar Mitchell personally, but Edgar was vehement that there was extraterrestrial contact with many of the space missions. He said it never happened on his Apollo 14 mission personally, but he'd spoken to many astronauts. And so why isn't NASA taking those statements from Edgar Mitchell, one of their you know, most famous uh, Apollo astronauts that everyone's heard of, the sixth man to walk on the moon? I mean, if he's saying it, what else do you need? And so many other astronauts. Well, he does non-local consciousness experiment. With oh. people, with people who colluded with him on the ground, and yeah. he got a drastically non-random positive. He did, he did, and he was the one who helped secure funding for SRI uh, yes. to work with he, Ingo from and, and, James and Fletcher at one of the conferences and Kit Green. Yeah. So, but it, it's look. This is a really serious issue. I, I have subscribed to this magazine since 1990. I have read every issue. Since- this new Wendy's Frosty flavor is way too exciting to keep under wraps. It's a brand new, first of its kind flavor. Get this, pumpkin spice. I know, right? It's so good. It's rich. It's cozy. It's the perfect flavor for some fall frosty time. Watch, everyone will see it and jump on the bandwagon. Grab a never-before-seen Pumpkin Spice Frosty or Pumpkin Spice Frosty Cream Cold Brew today when you choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's. Vanilla Frosty is temporarily unavailable. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Since This is part of my work every day is to go through this every week. Mm-hmm. They never have any serious articles about any of these topics we talk about. They'll, they'll have sort of BS journalists come in and write pseudoscientific articles. Uh, they could be talking to one of us, but they have these BS articles just sort of making fun of it. And I write them letters and things, uh, but they won't take I know Targ and Putoff had an article on RV way back in the 70s before I was a subscriber. But, you know, that's what concerns me, folks, is that hum- people are having these experiences. We have naval pilots. We've got astronauts. Some of them are testifying in front of Congress openly or behind closed doors. But the main scientific institution in the U.S., the AAAS, 
is not paying attention. And that could mean, as Hal Putoff told us at the SSC meeting in 2018, we could have a Sputnik moment again. And the yeah, Sputnik because moment, I guarantee you, Russia is are, paying for it. Russia's paying for the, uh, for the for the work. The Soviet Union paid for the work. We, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ's entire project was based on the fear of what the Soviets were doing. Because they the knew, they and the Chinese, they knew they were running uh, psi, psi experimentation, remote viewing, yeah. telepathy, telekinesis. Oh, they knew they were working on it. And they yeah, felt I, we were falling behind. We were. And I'm concerned that we're going to fall behind again if we don't get on the ball with some national discussion about anything that we're talking about here tonight. Pick a subject. Anything, a serious, open, transparent discussion. It's required. Otherwise, we're going to get so dumbed down that some other country like Jamaica or Trinidad is going to figure this stuff out before we do. Yeah. It's it's that serious. And that's what Hal was, Hal was telling us this. Someone who was in OSAP, he told us he was concerned about this personally. It had been over-compartmentalized. And nobody was talking to anyone else. And as a result, we weren't. He said the problem was if you have an issue and you're in one of these SAP programs, you can't. There's no one to talk to anymore. If you run into a, a roadblock scientifically, you can't talk, openly talk about it to anyone else. That's, and can this, I tell you from being in those things? Yeah, please go you, ahead, Bob. You, you know more than me. I, I, I've been in them, and you cannot remember what you were doing when you leave the small confines of the office you're in. Your computers are air-gapped from every other computer in the world. Your files are separate from every other filing cabinet in the world. If you go outside and say, I am working on A and it's funded by B, both the naming of A and the naming of B are federal crimes. Really? And your NDA... There, it can literally have any consequence they want in it, and you've signed it, mm-hmm. and that includes the permanent fix. Really? Yeah, and I'm sure that's what's in these NDAs. These people are working on the the legacy programs have is they are they have allowed themselves to be subjected to the ultimate sanction if they reveal it. It's actually in the NDA. I believe it. I know it can be. Well, that would explain a lot right there, folks. If this okay, is- so, so, so in the NDAs I've signed, I gave up the Bill of Rights. You gave up the Bill of Rights? Yeah. It was in there. Yeah. yeah, I gave it up. Now, it's in, it's, in, it's in legalistic language, but you give up the right to free speech. You give up the right to due process. You give up all, all of that stuff. When you go into one of these programs about that program, you don't give it up in daily life, but about that program, you've given it all up. If you, if you squeak a bit. No, I know this is true. I was giving a presentation recently on the East coast and uh, there was someone there who had told me after the talk was over that he had his group at some big fortune 500 engineering firm had, had been given reverse, you know, materials. They were asked to reverse engineer. And he said it was incredibly advanced and he stopped talking. And I said, so what, what, what did you guys say around the water cooler? 
And he says, I can't tell you. I signed an NDA. Yep. He said, I could be ruined. And he was so serious. He goes, and this conversation never happened. I mean, he was scared at this point. He had already gone too far. How many other thousands of people are out there like this who know something that we should be talking about, and they're afraid to talk about it because they've signed these NDAs? But, but the, the, the cost to society of having this stuff studied scientifically figure out how the science works and then to engineer it into solution for mankind's problems. Yeah. It's yeah. outrageous. The cost to our civilization. It's outrageous. outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. Uh, one by, people- by, by the time you've yeah. heard free, by the time you've heard zero point energy and anti-gravity and these, uh, I'll, I'll give you, uh, let me give, let me go give a concrete example. I got to know John Archibald Wheeler and when I lived and worked in Princeton because my ex-wife was a nurse in the retirement community, which he chose to live his life for the last 15 years from retirement to he was his passing. It was an all in one package. You got to retire there, live comfortably. And when you began to fail, they took care of you. OK, it was kind of a really neat deal. Uh, so I got to talk to him. And he kept telling me of the it for bit uh, construct and his it for bit construct was, which is the first time I ever heard in my life, especially by somebody as big time as he is. And I'll go over how big in a minute, which means consciousness is fundamental. He is the person I heard from. He browbeat me nonstop to take my mathematical skills and to work on the problem. And I'm ashamed I didn't work on it much until after he had passed and here I am working on it. But uh, he, he was the number one professor in the United States for training the top theoretical physicists. And several of them are Nobel laureates, including Kip Thorne and uh, Richard Feynman. They were both his students. And uh, Feynman worked with uh, um, Freeman Dyson to get his quantum electrodynamics together so that he could win his Nobel Prize. All of them were there, there together in Princeton. And so Wheeler was one of the scientists that worked on the Manhattan Project, uh, yeah, doing, yeah. Doing, nu- doing nuclear physics. But anyway, he got me to going, and it just took me a while to really get serious about it. I had to retire to really get serious about it. But the, the it for bit means his, his fundamental was information bits. Shannon bits are the foundational element of the universe and the dynamics and operations, et cetera, is consciousness. That's the thing that operates on these bits and changes them over time and moves them around and puts them together to do other configurations. He was way ahead of the curve. And now I know it. He was right like he almost always was. So, so are you telling me, Bob, that John Archibald Wheeler was the one that got you going in this direction? To yes. Be, I had no idea. That's fascinating. Uh, and in the 1980s. In the 80s. I have to say, you know, I, this guy was so ahead of his time. Do you know that he actually discovered the exotic vacuum object, yeah. these large clusters that was rediscovered by... Uh, Ken Shoulders and others, one of House colleagues, he, so, so, he discovered let, this in the 50s that you could use fractal 
toroidal moments to create gravitational thrust. Yeah. So he let me actually, give, let me let me let me go further. Let me go further. Wheeler called together the conference at North Carolina, where Lewis Witten and uh, et cetera, et cetera, worked on anti gravity. And they and Thomas, what's his name? And they all Burbage, Babbage, whatever his name was. Anyway, uh, and they all went inside aerospace industries and their work went silent. No more work was done on anti-gravity. And Lewis Witten's son, Ed Witten, is the number one string theorist in the world. Right. And string theory is a dead end. It's just not going to go anywhere. So uh, it's kind of amazing to me. Wheeler is just, he and just, he was the grand teacher of everybody who was doing, he did, he invented, his student invented the multiverse. Right. We should not forget Hugh Everett the third. Yes. Hugh Everett the third invented a mul- the multiverse. Right. Many I mean, world. Which is, which is like what everybody is like leaning towards now. Because it gets rid of the measurement problem. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, it came out of Wheeler's tutelage. And, uh, yeah, I have every book you wrote with a personal autograph in it. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was good. It was like one of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life. So, what this tells you is Wheeler is from that era where free thinking was encouraged and allowed. Feynman was from the era where free thinking and he did the stuff he did at Los Alamos would have gotten me put in jail if I had done it in Princeton, went around cracking people's safes and this other stuff to show holes in their security systems. It's just kind of amazing how these people were and how they lived and talked amongst each other. And uh, Oppenheimer understood how scientists worked, So he knew they were going to discuss stuff. So what was his solution? Bring all 4,000 of them to Los Alamos and hide them for the duration of the war. (laughs) Yeah, and unfortunately, it seems it never got unhidden again, Bob. It's been hidden ever since then, all the good stuff, right? Well, and I think the UFO secrets are hidden in the Atomic Energy Commission's classification system because it has all sorts of exceptions that the national intelligence and DOD security systems don't have. And so it's much less under the, the oversight of Congress. And they did it. And I, I believe now that Groves and Oppenheimer and Vannevar Bush and all those people got together and set up the UFO cover up before the Manhattan Project disbanded. Yeah, it had to be something like that. Dave, you, what do you got? I got a couple questions uh, from the audience here. If you guys don't mind, let's go to toe, no, no, I don't mind. toe tag. Is the Vegas nerve used as a frequency receiver for psychic or remote viewing? Probably. If you get the Vegas nerve, uh, it's with an A, I think, a G-U-S. Uh, it's actually what allows the body to sympathetically communicate with the brain. Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's a big information highway between our bodies and our physical brain. And that has to be involved in some way because view, viewing, and as Bob can say, it's not completely a cerebral experience. It's not just something you're imagining. You're feeling feelings and temperatures and textures and things. So there, 
has to be this sort of simulation of that feeling. And it would have to involve the vagus nerve. And, and, and it's, it's the vagus system is part of the, as, as you said, part of the system of your nervous system that's not under conscious control normally. Now, you can right. exert conscious filtering on it uh, and uh, do things like that. But, yeah, it's, it's got to be involved because of its stature as part of our perceptual system. And in a guarantee in remote viewing, you're turning off your logical brain so that your, your intuitive side can filter all these perceptions to get a signal out of it. You're trying to build a filter so that you see something that's coming at you that you don't know how it's getting to you. I want to yeah. ask you guys something. Grant Cameron, who was on the show last night, I think we all love and respect Grant. We were talking about things like jump rooms and the science that is behind that and how, you know, he used to think people like Andrew Bishago were absolute nut bars talking about these jump rooms that they were going around in the United States until somebody privately sent him some photographic evidence of where these so-called jump rooms are located. Have either of you ever investigated the jump rooms on whether or not they are real? I have not. No, I don't. I don't know anything about it. And I always thought the sort of same thing that Grant Cameron was saying. I, I, it sounded like fiction to me, but we could be, I could be wrong. So, so I mean, there's this, you know, the minute I heard this rumor that Obama went through a jump room, I went, no president of the United States would ever be allowed to go <laughs> through one. Yeah, we know, sir. We know that recently Secret Service stopped a president, even though he was being ordered by the president to go a place from going a place. And it was January 6th of 2020. A Secret Service man stopped a president from going someplace he wanted. And so the same thing would be applied to Obama. Secret Service would not allow Obama to go through a jump gate because remember, Officers of the FBI, the Department of Justice, Secret Service, Department of Treasury, etc. They do not serve a man. They do not serve a office. They serve the people of the United States by upholding the Constitution. And so they are going to protect the, the United States and the Constitution by preventing presidents from doing something stupid. Love it. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you that. Uh, here's a question. Thoughts, thoughts can jump over a gap from one person to another without the seat, without the five senses, gentlemen. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think this is what people think of as telepathy. Sometimes it's actually not mind reading. It's a sympathetic resonance, like two tuning forks at the same frequency. And those two people are experiencing the same frequency. They, They have an information transfer. And right. so the best the best information transfers are full blown configurations, or so, so enough enough information bits to get a configuration. So that's how you see a picture come into your your perceptual uh, sen- uh, visual system. So so long as you get information from some method, your brain can reassemble it if it's passed through the perceptual system. So I can hear a sound. If the if the configuration bits go through my my auditory processing system, same thing with vision, same thing with sense of smell, etc. And let me add one more thing here, just for the audience, uh, someone that everyone could relate to, Larry Dossie, who's written uh, a lot of books about precognition. 
And he, you were asking about this earlier, Dave. Uh, it just reminded me of this, that he had many cases. He wrote a whole book about it. I forget the title. It was people having precognitive dreams and senses of disasters that were about to happen. That Even kids, they wrote it down in great detail and then it happened, just like Bob mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Dossi documented this with case after case of large-scale disasters that people talked about a few days before it happened. If that is true, this ordinary sense of consciousness that Bob and I are critiquing, the traditional model can't be true. You can't have this finite set of networks up here. Know what's in the future if it's a linear uh, process like we've been brought up to believe. It has to be happening all at once in sort of a parallel uh, structure. Something as like a, that. And you're picking a, it up now. You're picking as, it up what's happening as, now. As a logician and a mathematician, what Simeon is talking about is called a counterexample. So once I have a counterexample, which we have in many instances of it, you cannot have your consciousness and all this stuff reside in the brain. And you can't say it doesn't happen when I can give you a counterexample to prove to you it does happen. So uh, just it's nonsense to ignore this. All right, gentlemen, we got one minute left here. Let's see if we can sneak in one more question. Let's go to uh, non-human here. The double slit experiment is real. Why not start from there? I agree. I don't disagree at all. One of the things, the double slit experiment, especially in the version that's modified by John Archibald Wheeler uh, called the delayed delayed, uh, uh, detection experiment where... You let two photon. You let a photon go through two slits, and you later on, after it's gone through the slits, decide what you're going to do. You're going to observe it or not observe it. And it's long gone through the slits, but you're going to observe it or not observe it. You have the interference pattern, or you don't have the interference pattern. So that means after it's gone through the thing that causes the interference, you observe it. This is called quantum erasure. It erases the entire past history to the moment the photon was ejected. All right, Science Bob, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We have Dr. Bob McGuire and Dr. Simeon Hine on Spaced Out Radio for another 30 minutes here. And then a busy hour three. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. Stay tuned. Uh, to answer an audience question from KNHBSM, I'm not sure if you saw my answer or not. I would love to move the show down earlier in time for the East Coasters. However, I would never get to see my son because I work a daytime job and I work this job. So unfortunately, uh, East Coasters are going to have to put toothpicks in their eyes in order to stay up late to be with us. So I do apologize, but no offense to you or anybody else. I kind of like my son more. So Yeah, when you live on Pacific time, you got to see your kid. I mean, it's 9 o'clock here by the time Dave gets to see his kid at 6. You know what pisses me off? His new hockey schedule is 7.15 to 8.15 practice time on Thursdays. i got to be in the studio for like 7.30, 7.45. I get like uh-huh. I get like ten minutes of hockey a week with him, and I'm like just cursing right now, just cursing over that. But what do you do? Oh yeah, you were involved in coaching. 
Yeah. So not wow. no more. Not no more. Knocker, how you doing? So, yeah. Just wanted to get that out. Yes. You know, Bob, I'm actually related to Robert Oppenheimer. Are you really? Just just through marriage, not biologically. It's on my father's brother's side. My uncle married his uh, one of his nieces. So, uh, I think that uh, Lewis, what's his name? Great granddaughter, granddaughter, yeah. Yeah, Lewis, what's his name that did uh, Oppenheimer in? Did it for because he was insulted by Oppenheimer once, but also because Oppenheimer opposed the manufacturing and utilization of the hydrogen bomb. Yeah, he did. Oppenheimer and Teller barely ever got along. And Ulam and Teller invented the hydrogen bomb, but Oppenheimer didn't want to do it. And number three. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oppenheimer did not want to keep the UFO stuff a secret. I'm certain. You're certain that he was in a, yeah, he knew about it. I now believe that the Manhattan Project started MJ-12 or Zodiac or whatever we're going to call it this week. Yeah. Well, we've got to, we got to reveal the history about this. I think it's about time. I think it's time that, you know, this sort of becomes part of our open discussion about all of this. Uh, It's just, uh, there's you know, it, there's a vacuum. There's a huge mental vacuum here. I mean, on this show, we're filling it in the best way we can in our yeah. own way. But, yep. I mean, this yeah. is a big net. That's how I feel it, reading science. It's a vacuum of – it's a, it's an anti-discussion. It's right. like Paul Dirac's antimatter in the wrong way. It's an right. anti-discussion that in right. should have taken place 70 well, the, years ago. Well, it's just, it's just amazing to me how successfully – they redirected everyone to look at the CIA and the Pentagon when the house of this was a DOE right. and the atomic structure. Well, who said structure. this a long time ago? I mean, because I've been going to these conferences since 97. I've been, I've right. been saying it with Linda Thompson and other for Brent, years now. Brent, and Cameron, people have been saying it's the DOE. I've been hearing this, Bob, for a while, that it's the DOE. They have their own classification system and everything. Uh, they and, John, and John Alexander started yeah. had the first the first um, uh, secret society uh, invisible college meeting. Guess where? Los Alamos. Is that right? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The silence has been deafening, but it's getting better. I feel it's getting better. I, 
maybe I'm uh, wrong about this, but I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Finally, I just see it in my own life and I, the types I, of podcasts that are out there, things you can tune into every night, like this show and other ones. I mean, I really feel like it starts. You have Rick Doty out there almost several times a week on one of these shows. Uh, he, he last night he was talking about Project Zodiac for the first time ever. The question came up, and he goes, "Wow, I can't believe someone knew about that." And he told us that was some sort of crash recovery program. I never heard about it. I, th- I think it's going in the right way. Well, that and I'm, but I'm worried. I'm worried that I'm I'm worried in two different directions that they are. Uh, they seem to be opposed. I'm worried that the Schumer amendment won't pass because yeah. there's opposition, and I'm worried about the Schumer amendment will pass because it allows them to keep the secrets forever. Yeah, now, Bob, does this apply to any non-human intelligence? Uh, yeah. Not only that, not only that, the eminent domain applies, applies to everything. Does Bigfoot, is it Bigfoot and non-human intelligence? Yeah. Do they get yeah. to take Bigfoot's tree yeah. structures? Yeah, you, you, get, you, get, you get to take all the footprints away from people that own That's the exactly, you get to take the footprints away. I mean, this is, there, yeah. there was a lot of discussion at this in Vernal, uh, the Skinwalker okay. crew. As oh, you I guarantee you. And I okay, crew, you, we got to get Polites, going here. David Politis would hate it. Well, let's go. Yeah. We're, we're going in five seconds here. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott, and we got a great show on science tonight with Science Bob and Friends. Reminder to all of you that if you miss portions of this show or others, you can check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. And, of course, we're on every major podcast network, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play, make sure you rate us high if you don't mind. We'd appreciate that. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. Science Bob and friends with Dr. Bob McGuire and special guest Dr. Simeon Hine. And gentlemen, what a show it's been so far. Man, we've covered a lot of topics, Science Bob. Yeah, I'm ready to jump, jump in a slightly different direction. So uh, I've been reading a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Stefan Swartz stuff lately and his Alexandria Project and some other things. He seems to be mostly associated with remote viewing. And I know that you're teaching us coordinate remote viewing. Describe for our audience a little bit about each of them and the major differences. Uh, you know, there are different systems for doing RV, but any of those systems, Bob, is just a way of recording it, the signal so that it doesn't get deleted by your conscious mind, doesn't get contaminated by noise. You're, you are the RV system, and there are protocols that have been invented to record it as accurately as possible. So CRV is one that Ingo worked on but there are other systems out there people have uh, created their own systems i've run into former special forces soldiers from vietnam who told me they were taught rv in the 60s Mm -hmm. by their commanding officer 
60s. This is way before SRI started. I asked them how it worked. It was sort of something similar, but not a written system like, you know, I taught you and the one that I learned to do, Mm -hmm. the Ingo system. But Stephen Schwartz worked with Ingo and a a bunch of other uh, psychics to do archaeology, you know, RV archaeology in uh, Alexandria and places. It's really fascinating what they came up with. Uh, The other system, obviously, that goes sort of parallel to CRV, coordinate remote viewing, or something because they controlled remote viewing, is so-called ERV, the extended RV system that is more associated with Joe McMonagle, mm-hmm. where it's not written. You just basically close your eyes and use your imagination to feel like you're at the target site. And look, it produces just as good results as CRV. Maybe it's better. I, I haven't never compared the data. I don't think it exists. But there are different systems. It's not like one is better than the other. Personally, I like the CRV system as someone who comes out of academia. There's yeah. stages. My conscious mind likes having some sort of protocol. It relaxes. Well, and the, 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 that and the, the obvious intent of coordinate remote viewing is to lay these things down in such a way that your logical classification, et cetera, brain Gets out of the way. Exactly, exactly. You got the main point. Du hast der Schwerpunkt gefunden. Yes, exactly. You've found the main point. I I have a gestalt. (laughs) Yeah, you have a gestalt. Very good. Uh, No, that is the whole point of the protocol. It's almost, I'm going to give it away right here. It's a way to distract your conscious mind, to let your unconscious, larger conscious do its job to go to the target site and get some you know, verifiable data. And we, the protocol is actually a way of keeping it busy, Bob. So you just, you understand that to prevent it from distorting the signal, which is subtle. It's not just RV. You see these bright images. It's very weak signal, but you have to get the conscious mind to leave it alone, not make judgments, not try to rush conclusions while you're drawing and describing what you're getting. That protocol distracts the conscious mind for a bunch of minutes while you're actually doing the session. Exactly. Okay. Before I forget about it. Yeah. Um, what is your latest book and what, if any book are you working on now? Well, thanks. Obviously the latest book is dark matter monsters. And I have to tell you, I get great pleasure of seeing this at the top of the charts in electromagnetics category <laughs> in Amazon, next to Maxwellian equations, how to understand Maxwell great books on Tesla. And sometimes this is number one, a book about Bigfoot and electromagnetics. I get great pleasure from this every day. I think Bigfoot is a fractal electromagnetic creature. (laughs) But this is my latest book. And it's just a thrill to be involved with it, to talk about it. But what I'm working on now is revising Black Swan Ghost. We've already created a new cover. When I wrote this in 2017, I think the New York Times article had not come out yet. And I have talked to many witnesses since this was published, you know, six years ago. So it's due for revision to include people like David Noble Whitecrow from the Navy, Mm -hmm. Operation Dominique, and all of the strange Mm -hmm. stuff that was happening around the atomic tests in the South Pacific. Right. Gary Sterling, the missile security guard from... Minot Air Force Base that saw one of these objects. Orange orbs. Yeah. Yes, lift off vertically, saw blind planes were chasing them. What's he told the next day by by the Air Force? You never happened, right? That sort of thing. And an engineer that I encountered that had 
told me what, what it was like to work on the reverse engineered materials and how he was 100% certain that this could not be made on Earth due to the anomalous isotopic ratios in the materials and just the density of the electronics, which he said was just, he said it was a thousand years of heavy. Well, the, the, the thing is, the, the, the stuff that I know about, you had to have deposited the individual atoms by some kind of tweezers. I mean, right. it's just, and it, they're perfect layers. Perfect. And what imperfections are in there are to introduce a function. Exactly. Uh, so wow. and, uh, yep. exactly right. just sussing out what the function of these metamaterials are is near on impossible because we don't have any context or any entree into what it's about so we could test it. Bob, have you actually seen these materials? You know a lot about I've it. Seen, I've seen some materials. And uh, recently, uh, Gary Nolan has been showing them. Jesse okay. Michaels and uh, went on and interviewed uh, Gary Nolan. And Gary showed him all the stuff that he and uh, uh, Jacques Vallée had piled together. And he was do- talking about the properties. And he's talking about it's impossible to manufacture. We've got several of these That's- pieces have anomalous isotopic ratios. And he let Jesse Michael hold that stuff in his hands. So I know it's real. This is exactly what I've been told by people who are not even part of our community. They don't listen to these shows. They're just doing their job. These are engineers who were approached. They wouldn't tell me by whom exactly to see if they could figure out how it worked. And that's what they told me. There are metamaterials that are so finely designed that even the defects are introduced atom by atom in, deliberately. And I was told they interact directly with the quantum field. Yes. I, so I believe I believe these I believe these defects. Here's here's my belief. I understand the quantum field theory. I understand the vacuum. So yeah. I believe these defects, which are voids, are places where the virtual particles will appear, but they're yeah. trapped in a small resonant cavity. So they yeah. understand what forces. So forces will happen because of the Cas- Casimir effect, and so the uh, stuff around it will be conducted. For conducting whatever's happening there away and use it. So I think I think we know kind of how it functions theoretically, but we don't understand how they manufactured it or for what purpose they manufactured it. Okay, before I forget about it, one, yeah, more, yeah, thing. No, well, one more thing. One more thing. Please <laughs> tell people how they can uh, come to you if they want to do remote viewing training. Yeah, we're doing a, I have a class going on right now. We started uh, four weeks ago, a beginning class. At, just as usual, it, it's just been incredibly fun. You were in one of these classes, Bob, mm-hmm. for people to learn this for the first time and make these breakthroughs and really see, wow, I really connected with the tar- It's a lot of fun. So if you want to go to my uh, website, resonantviewing.org, I list the different classes that are available. You know, I, I have a recorded class. You can do at your own pace. I call that virtual viewing. Ingo didn't want people using the name remote viewing, so he asked people to change it slightly. I'm just honoring that. So I have a self-paced class, and occasionally I do these live classes. We're just finishing up one of these right now. and It's just always so much fun to work with people and see them really make these breakthroughs. I mean, I just love people seeing seeing that they can do something that they didn't think they could do. It's happened to me 25 years ago. 
It's so resonantviewing.org. Yeah, so let me pontificate. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me pontificate for a moment. I don't like remote viewing either. I like resonant viewing because I believe you are tapping in to a certain collection of frequencies and yes. you're resonating yes. with that frequency. And so that's how you're making a connection. That's number one. And I think it's non-local interactions uh, through some weird space that we don't yet know how to describe. And so remote doesn't make sense when whatever's happening is zero distance from you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, like, I couldn't have said it better, Bob. This has been my argument for about 20 years since I realized it's not remote. If it was remote, you wouldn't be picking anything up. You're picking up a signal that's here, right? Yes. A frequency. Yeah, thank you. That's my, why so I like my highest level pontification is uh, I believe everything is based on the universal consciousness. Yeah. And in the universal consciousness, there's no such thing as a Euclidean or Riemannian no. or Minkowski structure. There's no, no metric. There's no, no metric. There's no Correct. time. So, yes. but, but they can evolve and they, the system evolves in a Markov way, which means what happens next is only dependent on what, what, where you, whatever the system organization is right now. It's next organization is dependent on the current organization where there's no sense of time between the two. It just one evolves into the next. Okay, so right, right, right. You, so we are spacesuits that our pipe comes down to us from the universal consciousness, yeah, and yeah, it's restricted. Yeah. It's a thin little straw. Very thin, very thin. So it's a thin little straw, and as stuff flows through that thin little straw, it can't all get in, so yeah. you lose information. But you also right. restrict it, so it has to pop out a little bit at a time. Popping out a little bit at a what? Time. That popping out a little bit at a time is the source of time. It's the loss of information that is the source of time. And so, uh, and our... our the loss of information. Is the source of time. Yeah, yeah. That, and, my dissertation was about loss of information. It's amazing that you're bringing it up. Yeah, lo- I think the right. loss of information is the entire source of space-time. So, you know, no, I... We, we At the SSC meeting in 2015 in San Francisco, we had someone from Italy uh, talk about cold fusion from ENEA, the, the, high, the highest level uh, energy research organization in Italy. And they had attempted to reproduce Fleischmann and Pond's mm-hmm. famous cold fusion experiments, which were completely pilloried and ridiculed here in the U.S. And he told us they successfully reproduced it. They got the reaction sustained at least for a couple of days at a time because it's a finicky reaction. And he said there have to be defects in the materials. Why? To create resonance because it's based on, it's not a chemical reaction. It's, it's zero point energy reaction. Resonance, yes, at that level. And there have to be defects to create the proper resonance. Probably, as you're saying, to create antiparticles and interact with dark matter, relative neutrinos, and these very small particles. And he said resonance, even cold fusion is based on resonance, all of these phenomena. And I think this is what you're getting at tonight is all of these phenomena that we call paranormal are in some way, shape or form based on resonance, just perhaps an alternative resonance. That's what it's non Minkowski time. It's non Euclidean, right? Okay. So, 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 so this, this is, this is ghosts and this is, 
non-human intelligence is from another planet, and yeah. this is Hello. telepathy. Yeah. So each of those things is kind of a different dimension, different frequency exactly. based on the based on the cavities. Yes. I am man in the barbecue. Don't you ever yes. forget it. <laughs> yes. The resonant barbecue. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's based on fractals. It's not based on a sort of Euclidean sort of geometry that we've all been taught is how things are. It doesn't actually work on Euclidean geometry. Okay. So the last, thing I, wanna, the last thing I want to say about Hoffman before we yeah. go to a question and then end it. Hoffman proved this theorem in evolutionary game theory that says all of this stuff we see with our sensory systems is an illusion. He's proven mathematically that we live in the matrix. And because we just see this flow of stuff, but it is all an illusion. And each of us from Einstein knows that our view of space-time is not the same as your view of space-time or Dave's view of space-time or anyone's in our audience's view of space-time because it's all relative to your place. So each of us gets our own copy of this illusion of space-time. Yeah, and it's a real experience for us, but the experience itself is actually illusory. It comes, yeah, right, this little thread that comes down from this larger etheric reality. But Bob, do you know who would have agreed with what you just said? No, none other than Albert Einstein himself. No, no, he did. Oh, yeah, he he proposed a variable speed of light in 1907. He saw it wasn't going to go anywhere. He was already headed to a Nobel Prize just for his speed of light fixed, and he didn't really want to mess with that. But he proposed it a couple times, variable speed of light, which would mean what? That everyone's in their own frame of reference. It does indeed. And, of course, Jack Sarfati is now doing variable speed of light for how uh, things uh, through metamaterials, which is how warp bubbles are formed. Exactly. exactly. Okay, Dave, do we have any audience yeah, questions that you can bring uh, bring to us before we have to leave? Absolutely. As we got about seven and a half minutes left, let's uh, go to Neil here. Do atomic explosions cause rips in the space dimension? I absolutely believe they do. Yes. I think this is the leading idea of why ETs started messing around. So the, 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 I don't think they form black holes, which would absolutely be a rip in the space dimension. Now, people worry if a black hole formed, it would suck the whole Earth up. That's not how it works. We know that from Stephen Hawking. If you get a tiny little black hole, it evaporates into gamma rays in about a femtosecond. Right, so, right. You don't have to worry about from Hawking radiation. They evaporate. Yeah, you get them in cold fusion liner too. They evaporate. All right, let's go to Kim Jellin, who brushes and flosses at least three times a day. She is asking, "What does it mean that a material interacts directly with a quantum field, Sibian?" Well, my understanding of it is the quantum field has a particular density to it, and it can be. Uh, more dense in some areas and less dense in others. And I was told that these metamaterials actually create propulsion by thinning out the quantum field ahead of the craft and making it denser behind, which just sort of creates a natural propulsive sort of effect. And also what Bob mentioned, it's the type of particles that are going to show up there. Those virtual particles uh, come out of this vacuum and based on the materials, how they're structured, you can generate more of these 
virtual particles, you know, what, what Paul Dirac was looking at, so antimatter, which, by the way, no one believed in until they discovered cosmic rays and they discovered the positron. Yeah, so it's that sort of thing that would generate particles. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At, at, the, at the level of the vacuum isn't like a vacuum cleaner. It's the ground state of the, the, the quantum field. And even what quantum mechanics tells us, which is so uh, amazing, is that even at the lowest level of energy, particles are always popping out. There's always energy there. So, I'll say the material interacts. And more generally, Sammy has given you a way that you might use it in an engineering fashion. But more generally, a vacuum has all these random particles, as Simeon was talking about, popping in and out of reality. But if you have a material of any type, it restricts what can pop in and out of the vacuum because it's no longer a vacuum. Stuff still pops in and out, but it restricts it to a smaller space. So it filters what can come out of the quantum field. That's how it interacts with it. And it does what's called scattering. All measurements about quantum particles are done through scattering. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Let us continue on here. And let's go to Neil. Does dark matter have a symbolic or pardon me, a symbiotic relationship with visible matter? And the answer to that is it does in some senses because dark matter is needed to explain why galaxies do not fly apart. That is how the existence of dark matter was discovered. We don't know what it's made of but we can see that it has to be there because the center of the galaxy rotates this speed. So does the outer edge of the galaxy rotate at the same speed. It stays in its spiral configuration as it orbits, and that should not happen. The stuff at the edge should rotate much slower than the stuff at the center, but it doesn't. So the only explanation that makes sense is something is providing gravitational influence on the stuff at the outer edge of the galaxy, and that has been postulated to be this dark matter. That's how we see it interacting. Yeah, and the only, I, that's right. And the only thing I would add to that is I think we do know what about a half percent of dark matter is, a tiny little part of it. And NASA has even st- stated this, the relic neutrinos from yes. the beginning of the, the, you know, the universe 14 billion years ago. This is what, you know, dark matter uh, monsters it's about, is we interact with this sort of cosmic flux. The, these relic neutrinos, which we don't interact with directly, are at the scale of microns to millimeters. They interact with cells. They interact with molecules. 
and there's been a chemical processes. A lot of former Soviet, then Russian research showed that there were these cosmological cycles of biological chemical reactions based on where the earth was in relation to Milky Way and so forth, which would lend itself to some sort of cosmological ether in a sense, but just a tiny part, you know, even a half percent is more than all the visible matter you can see. It's still a lot. So that, that and the fact that about 99% of it, but if, if these studies are true, Parkhamov and others, a tiny part of it are these large scale, slow uh, relic neutrinos, cold neutrinos. And, and so they're forth. slow because unlike what we thought in the beginning, these neutrinos have mass. They right. interact, they interact with exactly. the Higgs field. They do. And they're not like solar neutrinos, which are really fast and tiny and never really interact with any very rare. And it's hard to even record them. The, these slower ones are uh, larger. They interact with matter. And it's the thought that they are act like a catalyst for visible matter. Act like a catalyst. All right. We have a minute 45 left. Let's go to decipher. This will be our final question of the night from our audience for you guys. What is your thoughts on anti-space? Does stuff live there? So I don't know how to characterize or even formulate what anti-space would be. So we know about antimatter, positrons are the opposite of electrons, uh, uh, neutrons are their only antimatter particle, Photons are their only antiparticle, so and so forth. So uh, anti-neutrons are not. I mean, po- we know that we know about the anti-protons, nu- neutrons, and electrons. We know what they are. What what we do know is from recent experiments, only published in the last month, that uh, antiparticles are influenced in exactly the same way by gravity that regular particles are. So what this says to me is there is no such thing as anti-spacetime, that spacetime is spacetime no matter what, because they react here the same way regular particles do. They've seen them, they've seen uh, positrons and uh, uh, et cetera, uh, anti-protons, fall in gravity. Gentlemen, it is that time of the night for us to say good night to you, Dr. Bob McGuire, a.k.a. Science Bob, around these parts, and Dr. Simeon Hine, another legendary show here on Spaced Out Radio where we bring the woo as well as the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Great show, gentlemen. We very much appreciate it. Coming up next on Spaced Out Radio. We are going to go to Steve Stockton from Among the Missing. Then, after that, Terry Hall and his incredible mustache will be filling in for Tim Senor on the UFO Report. Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. Good job, gentlemen. Way to go. That was fun, fun, Simeon. Thank you for coming on. I, I feel like I need to have a conversation with Paul Dirac for a few minutes. To, to, Can we wake him up from the other side and talk to him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anti-space and anti he would He would love this conversation. All right, Jensen, we'll let you both go. He would go. mumble all the way through it. He would mumble all the way through Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Take okay. care. Two of the good guys right there, Science Bob and Simeon Hine. I will be right back.
Thurston Howell the third. Nice to see you. How's lovey? What a great show tonight. Excellent time with Science Bob and Simeon Hine. Brains, brains, Sleepy Hal, welcome to SOR Chat. Thank you to our super chatters tonight. Louie, Lala, Severin Shot, Science Bob, Kira, Simon, W. Decker, Louie, and Human Carl. We very much appreciate the love. Uh, yes, I caught a couple of salmon, but I put them back. Hi, Nikki in Seattle. How are you? And here we go with hour three. you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor here we go with the third and final hour of spaced out radio tonight thank you so much for joining us my name is dave scott very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call earth hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around north america Digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do me the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Cabre. Cabre is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. It is that time of the night where we say hello to Steve Stockton from the YouTube channel Among the Missing for another creepy story. Hello friends, welcome to Among the Missing YouTube channel on Spaced Out Radio. I'm Steve Stockton, and I'm about to take you on an unbelievable journey of people just like you. Their stories and encounters will haunt us on Among the Missing. Lake Superior is the largest of the Great Lakes in North America and is famous for its stunning beauty and rich natural resources. However, it is also notorious for mysterious disappearances that have puzzled experts for years. The lake's harsh winds have caused several ships to sink over time, with some vessels vanishing without any evidence in the frigid and murky depths of the lake. There have been reports of people going missing in this area since the 1800s, the earliest recorded incident occurred in 1816 when a fur trader named Jean-Baptiste crossed the lake with a group of Native Americans. According to legend, Baptiste was taken by the spirits of the lake and was never seen again. 
the Edmund Fitzgerald shipwreck is a famous and intriguing event in Great Lakes history. It's second only to the Titanic in media coverage, literature, and movies. Gordon Lightfoot's ballad, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, brought attention to the ship in 1976. The Edmund Fitzgerald sank in 1975 with 29 crew members on board near Whitefish Point, Michigan. The Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum has conducted three expeditions to the wreckage site. The Edmund Fitzgerald left Wisconsin with iron ore pellets on November 9, 1975. The ship was soon accompanied by another vessel, the Arthur M. Anderson, and radioed with the captain, Bernie Cooper. Aware of an approaching November storm from the Great Plains to the Great Lakes, Captain McSorley and Captain Cooper decided to take a northerly course across Lake Superior. This route would protect them from the highlands on the Canadian shore and take them between Isle Royale and the Keweenaw Peninsula. They later turned southeast to reach the safety of Whitefish Point. Weather conditions continued to deteriorate. Gale warnings had been issued at 7 p.m. on November 9, upgraded to storm warnings early in the morning of the 10th. While conditions were terrible, with winds gusting to 50 knots and seas at 12 to 16 feet, both captains had often piloted their vessels in similar conditions. In the early afternoon of November 10, the Fitzgerald had passed Michipicotten Island and was approaching the Caribou Island. The Anderson approached Michipicotten about three miles off the West End Light. At 3.30 p.m. that afternoon, Captain McSorley radioed Captain Cooper and said, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have a fence rail down, two vents lost or damaged, and a list. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me till I get to Whitefish? McSorley checked his speed to allow the Anderson to close the distance for safety. Captain Cooper asked McSorley if he had his pumps going, and McSorley said, yes, both of them. As the afternoon wore on, radio communications with the Fitzgerald concerned navigational information, but Captain McSorley offered no extraordinarily alarming reports. At about 5.20 p.m., the crest of a wave smashed the Anderson's starboard lifeboat, making it unusable. Captain Cooper reported winds from the northwest by west at a steady 58 knots with gusts of 70 knots and seas of 18 to 25 feet. According to Captain Cooper, at about 6.55 p.m., he and the men in Anderson's pilot house felt a bump, felt the ship lurch, and then turned to see a monstrous wave engulfing their entire vessel from astern. The surge worked its way along the deck, crashing on the back of the pilot house, driving the bow of the Anderson down into the sea. Captain Cooper stated, Then the Anderson just raised up and shook herself off all that water, baroof, just like a big dog. Another wave, just like the first one or bigger, hit us again. I watched those two waves head down the lake toward the Fitzgerald, and I think those were the two that sent her under. There aren't still conflicting theories about what caused this tragedy. The three expeditions conducted by GLSHS revealed that the ship likely submerged bow first into a large body of water as damage to the front suggests a sudden and powerful impact on the superstructure. Despite extensive investigations, there's no conclusive evidence to determine what caused the sinking. Still, the most probable cause was a loss of buoyancy and stability from massive cargo hold flooding. The ship's bell is now on display at the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum as memorial to honor the lost crew. And thank you to our good friend Steve Stockton from Among the Missing for another creepy story tonight. And of course, 
If you want more, head on over to youtube.com forward slash among the missing and check out the stories today. From the mysterious to the UFO world. Filling in for little Timmy Senor, we have Terry Hall and the UFO report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Terry Hall and his magnificent mustache are back, filling in for a vacationing Tim Senor tonight. And Terry will get you to unmute your microphone and, and get ready for tonight's show. But it's good to have you back, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Unmute the mic. If I did that, you could hear Bigfoot in the background now. Come on, man. What's the deal? Well, How you doing, Dave? I am great. You know what? I want to tell our audience a little bit of secret that they may not know about you. And I know you're giving okay. me a look like, what the hell are you setting me up for, Dave? <laughs> but for a lot of people who don't know you on a personal level, they have no clue that you actually live on a very, very famous UFO property. Tell us a story about this. Well, once upon a time, when pictures of UFOs were a rare commodity, someone in the McMenville, Oregon area took probably the most famous picture of a UFO to exist, Mr. and Mrs. Trent. Now, we came up here on a fluke. <clears throat> I came up here to retire. The property that we were going to go look at that day, we actually were on the way out, and I just talked to the lady. Well, we're on the road going in. She passes us up leaving. We found this property. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Almost like we were directed to it. It was exactly what we were looking for. It was the only parcel left out of all of these parcels all the way around it. And it just so happens it's the Trent property. So, yes, not only do I live on the Trent property, but I've had cameras pointed at the sky here for, what, about two years now, Dave? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, well, well, let me ask you this. That started a really long journey for me coming here. 
What, what, well, it hasn't been a long journey, but it's been a very productive journey. I what did you that. know about UFOs before you took that property over? UFOs has been a part of my life since my probably my earliest memory. But I really didn't know a whole lot about the Trent property. I had read about it before, and I knew that I was that we were in the general area. <laughs> But I didn't know it was the Trent property until I talked to Mrs. Trent and we sat down and she gave me a complete briefing about what happened here and blew my mind that she was such a fantastic lady. She said, Terry David, that's my middle name. She said, Terry David, I have never seen anything move so fast in all my years. She said, that thing was right there. We're standing outside. She's pointing at where it was. She said, that thing was right there, and it just went and was gone. And ever since I moved here to this property, I've been like so many other people, uh, fanboying from the background, reading books, watching this and that on YouTube. And, you know, um, but ever since I got here, I've gone from being a fanboy to being a peer. And to me, that still hasn't connected. For me to go to conferences or conventions or whatever the meeting may be and have people that I have been paying attention to for 30 plus years look at me, know my name, and treat me as an equal Still just fries my cookie to this day, Dave. I mean, you're in my life now. I watched you for five years faithfully before I ever got that first phone call. And that first phone call that you and I had, it was like we'd known each other for a 100 years. Very true. <laughs> Very and true. Ever since I got involved with you... um is when Tim and I started to become real fast friends, and it was because of what happened to Tim and the trouble that he was having dealing with what happened to him. Because he went from the black and white world of woo doesn't exist to being drawn into it, kicking and screaming. And for someone like that, like so many others now, uh, that were taught that UFOs aren't real. Well, Bigfoot's not real, and werewolves aren't real, and vampires aren't real, ghosts aren't real. So, when you when you come from a scientific background like so many people, so many people do, where everything's black and white, and then the gray opens up, now you've got to stop and think how those people are taking it. You know, hey. All this time I was told all of this stuff wasn't real. Now, this one obviously is real because I saw it with my own two, you know, great creator-given telescopes that are built into this processing unit that we have. So what else is real? And that's how my handle got to be, Dave, as you well know, the Cosmic Counselor, because I... I'm the guy that people look at, and it just looks like a solid fella, you know, but I can 
I can bring you back down to earth. If you're having trouble with this kind of thing, and it's it's for some people it really affects everything in their life. Like Tim, Tim has gone from not being anything UAP related to his entire life is devoted to it now. And it's happening to too many other people. And that's why the other night when you and I were discussing about this, about bringing it to ground and why people are being attacked when they're coming forward about this, it, it struck a chord with me, Dave. It, it, it's a sore spot for me now. You just had probably two of the greatest scientific minds that we have available to us right now in this field. Science Bob. If I understood a quarter of what that man understands about this, I'd have it licked already, right? But they drummed Bob out. They drummed him out. So there you go, right back to the conversation we had two days ago. You come forward and you get beat down. How That's do you very feel true. About that, Dave? That's very true. And, and, you know, we're seeing it more and more. And, you know, I think when you listen to what – both Science Bob and Dr. Simeon Hine had to say about this entire this entire thing about how we're not seeing a lot of of how do we put it uh, scientists really opening up to the fact of UFOs or when you see the scientists of the SCU supporting a very very poor report put out by NASA on the UFO subject that they really didn't find anything. And the scientific coalition of UAP studies is standing behind that, congratulating NASA on their nothingness. This is where we get in trouble because we're not taking this seriously. If anybody should have been all over NASA, it should have been the SCU. They have the brain power to do it. They have the Amen. knowledge. They have the understanding of what we are talking about. And yet, nobody even cared to ask NASA, what's in your closet? Why did you not go into your own facts that you have? How can a researcher, documentarian like Darcy Weir, pull out evidence from NASA files, but NASA themselves cannot find anything. And the SCU reports that or supports that. And this is where I find it difficult and probably hypocritical. And this is, you know, Terry, I don't want to go on a rant here because it's not Dave 101 night, okay? But this is where this field gets played. This is where we could see a two-tiered system in ufology. The I'm better than yous because I have a scientific degree or work for the government and those who've been boots on the ground researching for a long time, maybe 50 years, maybe two years into this subject because they've either had an experience or they want to push the scientific levels or they have just a definitive interest in UFOs. And what we're seeing in that divide 
is that scientific community saying, no, 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 you, you, you ufology weirdos, you tinfoil hatters, you go over there. We want you over there. Stay out of our way. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm the one with the scientific degree. I'm the one who has a contract with the U.S. military or the NSA or the NRO or the CIA or whatever it may be. So let me do my job. You peons who are probably making up your stuff, you go over there. And that's the two-tiered system we're seeing right now in ufology. And I think we have to start talking about that a little bit more. I, look, I was just having this discussion earlier today with Rob. And I look at it like this. I think it's a scientific community's time to take a back seat. Okay? All of these years, let me prove a point. What's your point you're trying to pull? Does it make any difference what hat I have on to whether I know whether I've seen something in the sky or not? No. All of these all of these years they've put this forward that if you wear bib overalls and you got a hat on and you and you got a piece of wheat sticking out of your mouth that the report that you give isn't credible. I've been on my land. I know each and every basically blade of grass that I have out there. If I see something strange in the sky, or if I see something strange on my property, guarantee it that I know what I'm talking about. So many civilian reports have been dismissed because they play the woo little music in the back, and I, I wish I want to be a believer little background. And they say, Farmer John, blah, 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 right? Last year alone, 2,000 pilots and credible observers such as police, fire, and others, military pilots and civilian pilots, we're not talking about civilian reports, just those type of reports, 2,000 reports in Maryland, right next to our, our, our nation's capital. That's pressing. I think, Dave, that all of our podcasts and all of the radio stations and things each and every one of you guys deserve a million followers because of this. You report it down the middle. You're like Joe Friday, man. Here's the facts. Do with them what you will, but here are the facts. This is what it is. What upsets me so much, Dave, and what's got me so riled up tonight, just like you, is NASA did the whole thing about the, uh, the, the, the the rock that they brought back from Bennu. Okay? And when they got up on stage this time, the same people that were on stage for the UFO report, boy, they were cut and dried and polished, and they had all this information, and, man, they were organized, and they stood up straight, and they talked loud and proud. Rewind that to the UFO report where they talked out of both sides of their face. They, they, they acted like children. So people like you 
and others. And I tell you, another guy that I miss dearly, he was a dear friend of mine, was Jim Mars. Jim told it like it was, just like you do. And he was unabashed about it. Take somebody like Graham Hancock, who completely went against the grain. Well, look at what's been proven from what Graham did. All of, all of what he's been talking about for all of these years, and Randall Carlson both, are proving true. Just like what you've done over the last eight, going on nine years now. What you've spoken about, whether it be cryptids, the paranormal, UAP, UFO, non-human intelligence, it's all proving out to be true. But what upsets me now, actually, I guess what scares me now, is the people that are being drugged into this right now over the last, say, four or five years, most of the ones who have had any side of any, any type of consciousness download hasn't been pretty. And I've been taking it as a warning as if we don't open up our eyes and move this forward how it's supposed to be done and bring this to ground that we're in for a world of hurt, Dave. I mean, I, don't you feel the same way? How do you feel about that? Well, the way I feel about it, Terry, is we got to go to a commercial break. <laughs> hey, good timing, man. Terry Hall filling in for the vacationing little Timmy Senor on the UFO report here on Spaced Out Radio. We will return with the show's final half hour right after this. Stay tuned. That worked out well. <laughs> I was keeping my eye up on the clock right there in the corner. Keyshawn, how are you, man? And uh, just to bring up to date, uh, you've got somebody in the chat going by CS. Yes. And just so everyone is aware, if you're interested in what happened to our little Timbits, look up on the Internet the Bainbridge Island Tic Tac. Bainbridge Island, Washington, just Bainbridge Island Tic Tac. What you're going to discover about Tim is going to knock your socks off and give you a whole new respect for the guy. Because he's been put through the proverbial ringer over this in pretty much every sense of the way. But I tell you what, we came out bobbing on the other side looking pretty good, Dave, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That we have. Man, I'm so sorry that your son's schedule got moved like it did. I know that that was like a high spot for your whole week going out and hanging out with those guys. <clears throat> I am so sorry, Dave. That that kind of really bites, man. But on the bright side, Dave's swag does it suck no it's not ugly it's not <laughs> ugly at all dude this this cup right here has probably got what 80 90 thousand miles on it probably a dozen trips and psh, looks a hey, brah right cheers there. Ping. Right there. <laughs> you know what's silly about it 
everybody brags on their Yeti cups, right? These are better than Yeti cups. They you are. want me to know how I? You want me to prove how I know? How do you know? This lid is from a Yeti cup. It fits onto Dave's, but Dave's cup's better. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. It stays cold, colder, and hot, hotter. Damn it, Jim. That's a good cup. Hi, dirty (laughs) filth. I can't give her any more, Captain. She's only a Chevrolet. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, my son came in earlier and asked me. He said, what are you you and Dave planning on doing tonight? And I said, well, what do you think? We're planning on taking over the world. (laughs) Just like we do every night. So where are we going next? Yeah, but I really... <laughs> you know, we do got a new report um, that's been dropped here recently that I think Bob and, and the fellows are going to be really interested. I really do. It's called Intent to Deceive. What's really, you know, I, I, I kind of got to disagree and agree with those fellas. It, it, the, the football is being moved down the field. But sometimes it worries me about who's carrying the ball. Same old names. Same old then, names. Well, we do have some new ones, you know, as far as research staff people. And funny enough, like you said, science is moving forward. And, and there is that report that just came out here recently that four out of five academics not only had believe in UFOs and UAP and non-human intelligence. They've seen it. Oh, my. Well, let's get into that. Okay. Let's get into that when you return. All right, we got a minute to go here. Big thank you to Louie, Lala, Severin Shot, Science Bob, Kira, Simon, W. Decker, Louie again, and Human Carl for the great super chats. Remember, you can get all your SOR swag on our website, spacedoutradio.com. We do not have ugly swag, people. Nope, nothing's ugly there. Even the random guy t-shirts are handsome as ever. Handsome. So you could go there. You could join our Space Travelers Club on Patreon right now. The description or the link is in the description below if you're listening in on YouTube. And make sure you put main 10th through 12th. 2024 on your calendar we are going to have the sor fan party in reno nevada i am literally literally counting down the minutes here we go Final half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. 
Reminder to all of you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davy the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can join the Space Travelers Club on Patreon. Here we go. Terry Hall filling in for a vacationing little Timmy Senor on the UFO report. And you're talking about a number of scientists here, Terry, who are starting to believe not only in UFOs, but coming out with their own experiences. What do you got for us? Well, it was a report done in the Independent. It wasn't an editorial. Uh, and it stated that four out of five academics not only believe in UFOs, UAP, and non-human intelligence, but they've actually started to report on their experiences and have been wanting to come forward. You were talking about uh, the scientific community. Well, according to that report, Dave, we've got four out of five academics. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks. And major universities coming forward now. Um, there's been several new reports that have dropped uh, that are absolutely stunning, just stunning. There was one that I was reading not too long ago. Uh, it was actually called The Intent to Deceive, and it was uh, discussing, it's called Reverse Doppler, to where uh, these these non-human intelligent craft or otherworldly craft, or let's just say UFOs, um, are able to send a signal out that actually deceives what we see on radar. So it's either not there, or it looks like a traditional uh, airframe. And that that was dropped after a nine-year study in New York State by Dr. Bruce Cornett. Uh, and it was... Oh, actually, it was uh, Dr. Cornett and, and someone probably you're very familiar with, with Dr. Jack Safadi. Yes. Um, and who and now Dr. Safadi told him that according to his theory about how UAP holes work, their metamaterials use reverse Doppler. That, to me, answered quite a few questions as far as our earthly limitations on able on being able to pick these things up <clears throat> and Sarfetti, of course he's a futurist 
uh, was explaining why the U.S. Navy's close encounters with Tic Tac and UAV are so classified. And part of it had to do with this reverse Doppler technology. And that's just one of the reports out of many that we're getting, along with, according to this report that I read from the Independent, the 30 whistleblowers that came that we've just recently learned about that, that have reported to Congress, uh, part of those whistleblowers were part of the academic community that's been working behind the scenes on this. What do you think about that? I think there's a lot moving on that. I, I really do. I don't know how, but it just... <sighs> Terry, there just seems to be a lot going on, and things are getting more quiet and quiet, if you've noticed. It I have noticed, but and I think it's come to the point, Dave, that... It's either got to be quiet or the, the big doors have to open because we've gotten to the point, Dave, to where it's it's we've gotten past a, they're, they're, a whether they're here or not. We've gotten past of proving that the crafts are actually real and exist. It's part of the nomenclature on Capitol Hill now. So now they've either got to really open the doors, which is going to severely hamper so many other things that have kept this in the closet for such a long time. The oil and gas industry, for instance, that's just one. That they're either going to have to put the toothpaste back in the tube and shut the doors back up, or they're just going to have to say, look, we're going to have to market the toothpaste and put it on the shelves now. I mean, that's where we're at, really. In reality, that's where we've gotten to. How do you, but the question is, who who brings it out? That's that's the big one right there, Terry, is who brings it out. Okay, mainstream ufology doesn't get the press time that they should for the hard work that they do regarding this subject. I think you would mm -hmm. agree. Okay. Yeah, I do, 100%. And when they do get the press time... It's half of the time, more than half of the time, it's got that spit on it that we all have such a distaste for. Yeah. Second of all, like I said, this two-tiered UFO system that we are in now, that upper echelon, or people who feel that they're in that upper echelon, okay, they're not going to break anything because they don't want to, A, ruin their NDAs, B, ruin their contacts, C, they are selfish. They don't care about getting Joe and Jane public any answers whatsoever to their UFO and or extraterrestrial experiences. Don't care. They don't even want to hear the stories. If you talk to a lot of these scientists... Okay, they think the public is too much interfering with their research. This is why the majority of them have chosen not to interact on platforms such as Twitter. Many of them have decided not to go on any podcasts because of aha, caught you moments. Okay, and when you, they do talk to people like us, they have to worry about how our questions are going to affect their narrative. 
prime example. We were, I, I, I mentioned uh, Graham Hancock earlier. He went to Egypt and was supposed to have quite a civil meeting with Dr. Hawass, Zawi Hawass, who, who is the god of all Egyptologists we all know, well know. Uh, well, he met with not only ridicule, but complete disdain and anger because of dogma. Do you think dogma is what's keeping these guys in up, up on the shelf? I mean, do you think that Neil deGrasse Tyson could reverse the dogma that he has instilled for such a very long time? Or is he going to be stuck on that shelf in the same spot? Is he ever going to admit that this is a real thing? Or is dogma keeping that on the shelf, Dave? I would say it's not dogma. I would say it's ego. Okay? It's ego to the point where somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson believes he is so much smarter than the majority of people in this planet which he probably is, that what he says he probably feels should go. Okay? I mean, don't forget, we had, you know, and this isn't talking bad about Dr. Rich Hoffman, okay? But we had Rich Hoffman confirm on this show that people in ufology get in the way of what he feels is the real research, the nuts and bolts aspect. And look at the. He said as much to me as well. When, when I sat down and had, uh, and we were able to share some time together, he said exactly that, Dave. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at it, when you look at uh, the idea here, uh, Terry, that they don't want people like you or me or our audience around, the question is why? Okay. Is it because we don't have fancy degrees hanging on our walls? Is it because they don't want to upset the apple cart? Okay, I had one insider once tell me, and we were having a conversation about UFOs, and I brought up the alien stuff. He said, no, the public's not ready for aliens. They can handle UFOs. That's why we call them UAP. But they're not ready for contact. They're not ready. And I agree with that. And I still agree with that term. Okay. But, yeah. but the point that I'm getting at is the scientists, what they want is they selfishly want to play with the toys. They want to experiment with the toys. See how these craft are flying. Okay. How do the beings control the craft? Every sort of nuts and bolts question that is out there. Okay? Every nuts and bolts question that can really, I don't think, enhance anything. Okay? But the point that I'm getting at here is, Terry, we need to have scientists who are open-minded. We need to have scientists who are willing to take that next step. And like I said with Dr. Uh, 
Simeon Hine and Science Bob tonight, I stated these most of these scientists, they're worried about their tenure. They're worried about yes. they're worried about their pensions. They're worried about their pay plans. They are worried about losing government or personal or private grants because they believe in the woo. Yep. Okay. And that's difficult. And I, and I, see, Dave, that's that's where I think it all plays in. Uh, you were talking about ego, keeping this on the shelf. Well, because of their ego and their willingness to stay on the shelf, that in turn leads to dogma. The unwillingness to change leads to dogma. And where these scientists are saying or used to say that all science is is a series of questions that get proven wrong over and over again, they're not willing to bend. They're, they're just not willing to bend, which leads to pyramids being built in 20 years when we know that in order to build the Great Pyramid of Giza, they would have had to cut, quarry, move, and set a stone every 10 and a half seconds to make that real. So that wasn't true, but yet it's dogma. That it was subscribed to a particular king in the golden era of Egypt, and it was built in 20 years. That's wrong, right? Uh <laughs> What they're doing to ufology, even the people that are in ufology, like you said, there's one particular person that's very, very famous in our field that made the earth move in our field, that admitted outright that they have counterintelligence people, even some of the most famous people in this field are here to tear it apart purposely. And until we get past that, we're not going to, like you said, mainstream media is not, not going to give it the treatment. Not until they're parked in our upper atmosphere and, and they just don't have any other way around it. They're not going to give it the treatment. The ones in this field who try to give it a fair shake get ridiculed to the point of no in, innuendo rumors I've seen rumor mills. Dave, I've seen rumor mills, and you know this as well as I do. I've seen rumor mills completely tear apart things that were happening in upper echelons of countries' governments. Meetings that have just gone from something that should have been monumental to nothing over innuendo and rumor. Only in, and we always say only in this field. Only in this field, but, I mean. Any field as, cut, as cutthroat as this one, it happens. And I see it happen every day in the line of work that I'm in. I see people cut each other's throat. That's a human tendency. I, that, and that brings us to this, Dave. Is it part of our natural evolution as we progress and get more technological that UFOs would be part of the conversation because where we're at as a society now? That's a deep question, Terry. I think UFOs have been pushed on the public. There has not been a single person who has been able to answer our question for the last two years, Terry. 
and that was why now. Okay. It may sound for a lot of our listeners out there repetitive, but the why now question is one of the most important questions that we need answered. Why now all of a sudden the, the big study over UFOs? So don't give me this crap that it was the To the Stars Academy that did it. And another thing, Dave, everyone who's rep- every every report I've ever read about a portal doesn't say on the other side of that portal that they saw the, the blackness of space or stars. They're always describing somewhere else. So that leads me that and, and like Bob said earlier, in my deepest, darkest, most secure memories, thinking about these portals, it just led me to believe that these guys it, it's not a folding space thing. They're not traveling through these light years, through the deepest darkness of space. When those portals open, it's blue sky and grass. That's another place. Okay, why aren't they looking at that? Why aren't they talking to these people like Tim and uh, so many others that, like Grant said, had the consciousness connection part of this? I think that's where our next set of answers is going to come from, is from the people who have had that type of, of interaction or even up to and including abduction. We need to start talking to those people because they've been told something. They've been shown something. Your your dreams, your body isn't engineered to remember a dream. When you remember something from a dream, that's your consciousness trying to tell you something. So many of these people that have been brought into this as of late have dreams that they can write down and go back to the next night, sit I can set, the, like some of the people I talk to, and I swear to this, Dave, set the set it down here tonight. Tomorrow, they're walking through the same room, pick up the drink, and it's still sitting right there. Those kind of dreams. There's so many people that are having those. And others that I've talked to, like I said, it's Armageddon. Are these guys abducting humans and animals? getting the DNA from us because they are so different from us that they need to engineer something to interact with us, to be on that level. Maybe that's why the the alien that they just brought in from Peru down in the Mexican Congress, maybe that's why it shared 30% DNA with us. There's so I still many think of that these mummy, questions. I think that mummy could be yours if we found one with that mustache on it. <laughs> There's so many of these questions that we could answer if we got away, and, and we have to get away from the nuts and bolts part of it for now. And that's unfortunately all the government is interested in. At least publicly. Right. Right. So with two minutes to go, I want to say this about it. I really do believe that the United States is in control of UFO aircraft. Absolutely. Okay. I I believe that, you know, I don't believe it's at Area 51 anymore. I believe they've parsed them out to different bases, to different private company, 
<coughs> excuse me, par- private companies mm-hmm. who want to take advantage of this. And let us not also forget, in this new two-tiered UFO system, there is also a big group who are playing the disclosure for dollars game. Yep. Okay. And they are clinging on together like they are the only ones who are allowed to get into the lifeboat when the boat sinks. The rest of it, the world doesn't matter. Okay. And, and you could put whoever you want on that list. That's, that's absolutely fine. But at some point, this story, Terry does have to break on what is the next step because people are going to get tired of seeing dots in the videos, dots in the sky. We're done with dots. How do you change that? I have no idea until this doesn't become a secret for the gatekeepers anymore. Then it'll be able to move on. Terry, we got 40 seconds. That's how it is. That's how it does get moved on, Dave. When we get to the point where we don't have to tell people, I tell you, but I got to keep it a secret. That's when the doors open. Well, it also goes for sources too. A lot of journalists and a lot of people out there are taking a lot of heat because they won't give up their sources. You know what, people? A good journalist never gives up his sources. Why would he or she? Okay. Take that from one of the best journalists in the business, Mr. Dave Scott himself. Oh, you're way too kind. Your paycheck's in the mail. Got a little bonus <laughs> on the on the end of that for you. Actually, it came through direct deposit today, Dave, by oh, the way. Did it? <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> Terry He's Hall. a slave driver, but he pays well. <laughs> Terry Hall, thank you for filling in for Tim Senor on the UFO report. We always appreciate you around here, my man. And we say a big thank you to Steve Stockton for another great story from Among the Missing. And, of course, Dr. Bob McGuire, known as Science Bob, and Dr. Simeon Hine breaking down all things science-y on tonight's show. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up. For the guitar god himself, special thanks to everybody listening in, at work, at home, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, and the SOR Space Travelers Club. Remember this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.